So we're still in 2018, but as of the recording of this podcast, why do I keep doing that? Let me let me try it one more time. Okay. I know what's going in our front bumper. <laughs> no. Okay. <clears throat> Don't you dare put this in the front bumper. You know the second you said that, now it's in. I'm going to mark the time code. Billy! Okay. All right. Okay. All right, welcome to Kim and Billy Talk Mission Impossible Episode 6, where this week we are talking Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout. All right. <laughs> so before we do anything else, uh, Kim and I want to take a second here to talk to you about our Patreon campaign. I suppose that I, would be I was a hoping good you were gonna say, I was just hoping <laughs> you were going to say, Go yes. on. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have one. Um, it turns out that making a podcast requires a little bit of money. A little and, bit of money. Uh, Anything you're able to contribute would be so greatly appreciated and will allow us to continue making these episodes. Yes. So you can head over to patreon.com slash Kim and Billy talk where you will see uh, what we have on offer, including some bonus content. The big thing we should be telling you about is that on December 20th, we're going to be releasing our first bonus episode that will only be available to Patreon contributors. Dun, dun, dun. We are going to be talking. <laughs> what, what, what movie theme song is that, Kim? I just wanted to like add a little flourish, is and that, that was the first the theme thing song that came to, to Magnolia mind. because I haven't seen Magnolia. Right. What we are doing is talking about the 1999 Tom Cruise classic Magnolia. If you have been following the, uh, this podcast for the past few weeks, you will know that Kim has not seen Magnolia. It's come up a bunch of times on this podcast, so we've decided. It's uh, just about time that Kim sits down to finally watch this. To experience. Glorious. Billy glorious. is really, really excited about it. And I haven't seen Billy this excited about watching a movie. Basically, I think since oh, we went to go see I'm, Fallout. I'm not excited about watching so. a movie. I'm excited about seeing your reaction <laughs> to this movie. So yes, if you go to patreon.com slash Kim and Billy talk, you will be able to, um, if you're willing to contribute a few bucks, you'll be able to sign up for our exclusive bonus episode feed where, uh, you'll be able to get that episode on December 20th. Now, if you're listening to this, you might be asking yourselves, hang on at the beginning. Didn't you and Kim sit down and say, ah, we're going to be doing this for six, seven, maybe even eight weeks. Why? That was a lifetime ago. (laughs) Why would I sign up now to give you money on a monthly basis at the end? Well. So much has changed. So much has changed. We've been having so much fun. We've been having so much fun doing this that we are not ready to stop. So little mini announcement here. This is not the end. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with a Mission Impossible wrap-up and an awards show that we are affectionately calling The Mishies, dun, dun, dun. where we're going to be giving out um, uh, awards like uh, Best Director, Best uh, Supporting Actor, etc., etc. Basically, our recurring questions, but for the entire series, and yes. we've got some time to think about this, so we'll try to come up with some like interesting awards as well. So you'll be getting that episode in your feed next week. Then we're going to be taking a break, and then we are going to be back in January with... Oh, we're <laughs> okay. you can cut that out. Yeah. What I was going to say is a new mini series that we will be announcing on next week's episode. So come back before we get into the Mishies. We're going to be telling you what our next mini series is. We're going to tell you about what's going to be happening after this. So you're not going to want to miss that. You're also not going to want to miss our awards. And you are definitely not going to want to miss 
our bonus episode on Magnolia. So check out all that good stuff. I was laughing before just because um, Billy had to edit out me blurting the name of the next franchise we're doing. I'm just really excited. We literally sat down. We <laughs> talked about the agenda. We we're like, we're going to tease the announcement for next week. <laughs> and then Kim's like, I can't wait. So maybe you will have heard that bleeped out. I don't know. We'll see how we edit this all together. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, there is big stuff coming your way. We are so excited to be keeping on with this. Kim, I don't know about you, but I have a blast coming here each week and recording these episodes. Honestly, had I known how much work this was going to be at the very beginning, I might have been a little bit hesitant, but (laughs) it's so much fun. I'm having a blast, and it's a cool excuse to hang out with my buddy Billy. Exactly. So even if uh, this podcast is going out to just two listeners, that's We love you, Uh, you guys. Thank you you so much. dynamic duo out there. But seriously, if you have downloaded this, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. And if you do have a couple of bucks uh, you want to throw our way, head over to patreon.com slash Talk. Other than that, we're going to stop trying to sell you. And let's get right into the heart of today's content. Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible Fallout. Fallout. We didn't even plan that. We just it's did just it. It's just how in sync it's we beautiful. are. We saw this movie together this past summer. Yes, we did. And I bring that up specifically because I think it was basically the seeds were planted for what has turned into this podcast that you're listening to right now. Yeah, it was our really enthusiastic, really positive reaction that made us think, we have so much to say about uh, this whole franchise that we might actually have to record it because the world deserves (laughs) to know. Well, the backstory, too, to what happened was the this movie, Fallout, was released internationally um, Friday, July 27th, uh, 2018, depending on when you're listening to this. So earlier this year for us. I'm, I'm Sorry, just imagining. the release date is depending on when you're listening to this? <laughs> so if I listen to this tomorrow, will this open up an alternate reality where it was released on a different That's date? That's the exclusive content you get if oh. you subscribe to us on Patreon. <laughs> you get to access Earth 2? Yeah. Okay. That's going to be the $20 tier, so right. that's to come. So keep listening, guys. For 20 bucks a month. You get to... Any hoozle. Yeah. Um, the movie came out uh, Friday, July 27th, uh, 2018, um, which is the day after my birthday. Mm-hmm. And so when the first trailer for this came out, I was like, Tom Cruise has given me my birthday gift. Thank you, Tom Cruise. And then I realized I was actually going to be out of the country at that time. Mm-hmm. It was crushing. And there'd been a lot of lead up to this movie because maybe more than any other there'd been a lot of publicity around this. Yes. The movie had been delayed. It was in the news a whole bunch. So if you are a fan of this franchise, you are following the like, when the heck is Fallout going to finally come out for a long, long time. And also just like the funny and fascinating things that were happening, which we'll get into. We will talk about, yeah. (laughs) But I think it's personally, um, I'm going to take this as a sign of Billy's friendship towards me, as opposed to Billy being super busy during the summer. (laughs) he chose to wait to see this movie. Yes, until it had I got nothing back. to do with the fact that I've literally never been busier in my life. <laughs> Such a good friend, Billy. Yeah. So we finally get to go see this movie together. And at this point, it's like what, three weeks after release? I think even longer than that. Yeah. It, it, it had been out for a while. I had yeah. had to put up with people yammering at me about how great it was for so long and be going, shut up, I don't want to hear anything. <laughs> I'd heard nothing because I was out of the country. Um, <laughs> what, the Irish don't talk about Mission Impossible? <laughs> well, if they did, they did in Gaelic and I didn't. Or just maybe there was a lot of Guinness. I don't know. My maybe, focus was elsewhere. Maybe they have been so offended by North American people imitating John Reese Myers from Mission Impossible 3, <laughs> like me, that they're like, fuck that franchise. We're done with it. I did see a lot of neat ads for it while I was over there, but no one was talking about it. So okay. maybe the marketing team needs to listen to this podcast. Were you and- in Belfast? Uh, We'll get to that. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Okay, so 
we go to see this movie. The theater is still pretty packed when we do see it, which yeah. is always yeah, a great Yeah, it was sign. a great crowd. And um, if you watch a movie with me, I'm not going to give you an active running commentary, but if I get excited, I... Like, I can't help it. I have physical reactions. And this is all to say, I think I punched Billy like six times. Yeah, while we were Kim watching. shares her uh, opinions in Morse code <laughs> through the theater by punching you in the shoulder. Holy, th- okay, so I wanted to bring this up, but before I forget, did you know that the theme music for Mission Impossible is actually based on Morse code? The dot, 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 dot. That's Morse code. That's how Lalo got the initial theme music for Mission Impossible. What, what is it supposed to be spelling out? I don't know, but that's what Wikipedia (laughs) said. (laughs) Tune in next week on The Mishies, where we talk Morse code. All right, I'm putting that that on the list, the things to look up. Okay, that's cool. So we see this movie together, and as is our custom, we go grab a drink after, and we talk about it, and we just, it was like an hour on that patio, just yelling at each other about this movie. And then I went home inspired and still like a frenzied and bought the Mission Impossible bundle, Started watching it, and uh, here you got we are 15 now. minutes into a movie you hate, <laughs> and you were like, We gotta talk about this. <laughs> Still, so more, so much more to say. Yeah, okay, so um, that's how we both saw this movie. That is how we both saw this movie, and then we, uh, in our various ways, saw it again, so we were prepared for well, And I'm this. curious, having watched it a second time now, just as like a foreshadow for what's to come, were you as hyped watching it the second time? You know what? I appreciated it even more, and that's something I did want to talk about, because I am a true, like I think I've talked about this before, the first time you see a movie, um, your initial reaction to it is, I think... That's the truest reaction. The real true. Yeah. So if you see a big blockbuster movie in like opening weekend somewhere, you're going to have a specific feeling versus when you watch it on your couch on Netflix or whatever, six Mm -hmm. months later all by yourself. And you might notice some things that you didn't catch the first time because the first time you're very excited and you're you're caught up in the crowd. You're under the spell. Yeah. Yeah, And so normally when I watch big movies like that uh, for the second or the third time, I'm always a little bit like, ah, it's a little bit lesser than I thought it was, but I still appreciate it. With this movie, I actually appreciated it even more. That's interesting. See, for me, I think that's probably what would have happened. But the fact that we've watched all these other Mission Impossible movies, like they were so front and center in my head that I couldn't stop referencing, ranking this with the other ones that like this one actually dropped a little bit for me. So I can see that, but Mm -hmm. I think you and I come to these movies for slightly different reasons. (laughs) And I think the character development in Fallout is so central to the plot. Okay. That I would put in a pin in it because, oh, man. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Point taken. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, so what do we need to talk about before we can just talk oh, about this movie? So we need to talk about uh, Cruise Career Corner. Right. Um, so last time we saw Tom Cruise was obviously in Rogue Nation, which came out at the end of 2015. And he- we had talked about how in between – the Ghost Protocol phoenixing and Rogue Nation. He has a he, he tries a bunch of different things. Which don't quite work. And then And then well, he like goes back to Jack Reacher in twenty sixteen for yeah. the sequel Never Go Back. And I don't know, maybe it was just like the success of Rogue Nation and was Christopher McQuarrie on the Jack Reacher sequel as well? I'm not sure. I feel like I feel like he was in, in some way, but um yeah, I, I was I realize this is not ancient history, but going back and looking at what he did between Rogue Nation and, and Fallout was like a little a little depressing. Yeah, it it just it didn't. There, he has a really interesting period between Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, and this stuff it it was a little sad. It was yeah. a little. Well, so after the sequel to Jack Reacher that I don't think anyone wanted, um, yeah. he does The Mummy, which. 
in Tom Cruise's defense, there was a real push here to launch a brand new like movie universe. So here's my feeling on The Mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you are listening to this, there have already been a million takes on The Mummy. You, there is a universal consensus that this is not a good movie. Yeah. I have no intention of dunking on it other than to say this is a movie made by talented people who have made other good movies. What makes me feel bad is that I can't envision any possibility where these people watched the final cut and didn't realize they had made something bad. Yeah. And that's a tough position to be in. Like you, you can read all about the attempts to get the new universal monster movie series off the ground. And like these people all got trapped yeah, by what they're doing, and it resulted in something that is not good. I mean, it's not bad. You oh, and I saw okay. it in what theaters. Are you, what are you talking about? Well, we both that walked away from that. That movie is appallingly bad. Okay, so I've only seen it the once, and that was in theaters no. with you. So I no, think no, no, that no, speaks no, volumes no, no, in and no, of no, itself. No. I'm All trying to give our buddy to Tom see. Cruise here. <laughs> you a only little. needed to see it once. <laughs> that is a bad movie, and I know Tom yeah. Cruise knows that. I know McQuarrie knows that. I know Jake Johnson knows that. Like oh poor Jake Johnson, do you remember him in that movie? movie? Yes, he does. What is it? It's at the very end. It's at the very end. So he dies in like the first fifteen minutes, and then he's a ghost for the rest of it. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Spoilers to nobody. So he he uh, dies in the first fifteen minutes, and then he's a ghost. Then he's back at the very end, and like as the credits are about to roll, he goes, "Hey, thanks for bringing me back from the dead." End of movie. It's I do like, it's remember not the conversation you and I had. So hard at that. That's maybe my favorite line that has. Maybe ever- that's why in my mind that movie isn't that bad because I remember you losing it laughing and I laughed too at how hard you were laughing. Well, and the thing and- is, like, Jake Johnson is an incredibly talented comedic actor. He had to know when he delivered that line. Like, what? <laughs> so I, I feel bad for everybody who is involved. They tried to do something cool and it didn't work. Didn't take off. And then um, this this is the one that actually makes me a little bit sad. Uh, Tom Cruise's next movie is American Made, which by all counts is actually a pretty decent movie. Yeah. It's just no one really saw it. Like we, it made its budget you, back, you I think. Seen it, right? I still haven't seen I it. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. And like the trailer didn't look bad. I, but I do remember you and I having a conversation about it where I was like, I uh, just, you know, the whole cartel, I just feel a little bit squicky about American movies profiting off of all of that as entertainment. Was that the conversation we had about this movie? Am you I may have had that with someone else. I, it, when the trailer came out, I messaged you and I was like, I know what we're doing. <laughs> and you were like, the woman he is married to in this movie is in her 20s. This is oh, like. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> okay, I remember this now. Yeah. You had a lot of problems with that movie. Do you like though that my brain just like granted you, you the better it, yeah. conversation? <laughs> what do you mean the better conversation? Like. These were all fair points. <laughs> yeah. I, apparently, it's a very good movie, though. I, I guess it's sad that in between these two, it, it used to be that Mission Impossible was his one franchise, and everything else he did was like a pretty cool, different movie. And it's sad that he has been reaching to like kind of start more series. Well, that's and exactly it. Hasn't it. Been working. For me, American Made, though, isn't his attempt to start a new series. It was Tom sure. Cruise's attempt to come back as a serious dramatic actor in a movie that was, by all accounts, really fun pretty and good. still. Yeah. Like, from the trailer, anyways, it looks like he's being, you know, like, Tom Cruise, the Southern debonair. Tom Cruise, yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, shooting is now happening for Fallout. And and it's, like, as sad as I get about that part of his career, what I get amped for is that any time things do not work out for him, he's like, 
I'm going to give not 110%. I'm going to give 440% to Mission Impossible. Yes. And and he pulls out this freaking amazing movie. Like it's 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 some some people are motivated by failure and setback and I get the feeling he's that way and it results in these freaking magical Mission this is Impossible the one movies. thing he knows the people love and that he can do so well. And like, so it's still 2018, but as of uh, the date we're recording this podcast, it is the fifth highest grossing film of the year. And it is the highest grossing film in this franchise, surpassing Ghost Protocol. And I think it's Cruz's highest grossing film ever. Wow. Well, at least I, to date. I 100% did not know that. So then what, what has beat it this year? This um, has been... A- I, I, I realize this. this is like an embarrassing announcement for the year we start a film podcast, but this has not been the best year for me attending movies. But anyway. I think we, we've actually seen, well, I've seen, sadly, all of these except for one, but beating it. So in spot number one is Avengers Infinity War. Makes sense. Followed by Black Panther. Sure. Followed by Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Really? Followed by Incredibles 2, and then it's Mission Impossible okay. Fallout. Uh, almost all of that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is probably a good segue into... For our new segment, <laughs> the Henry Cavill Kitty Corner. Brought to you by Penny the Podcat. <laughs> okay, so usually we don't get into the First careers. of all, we're too proud of that joke. Like, yep. We just laughed really hard when we came up with it. <laughs> Moving on. Yep. So, you know, usually when we do this, like, preamble to our talk about the movies, we don't really talk about anybody other than Tom Cruise, but... Like part of the legend is follow of of Mission Impossible follow is like we have to talk about Henry Cavill leading up to this because I'm going to advance a theory throughout all of this. Where do you want to start the story? So let me start it as it did in real time, which was me seeing the trailer for Fallout and freaking no, out. We about- have to go back. <laughs> no, we but- have to go back, Kim. <laughs> and we have to start with a little film called The Man from Uncle. We're going that far back. Yes. Okay. Now, do you know this? Well, I know that Tom Cruise was slated to star. Have you seen The Man from Uncle? Yes, I have. Okay. Did you like it? I did. Yeah. I actually, that's a movie that has uh, grown for me. Like, I thought it was fine when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. On the rewatch, like, I actually think that's kind of a cool movie. Um, I've only seen it once, but I would be open to seeing it again. Okay. I think it's Henry Cavill's best performance um, because it's playing off these, like, extremely artificial, extremely constructed 60s macho personalities, and Henry Cavill is this weird, superhumanly beautiful, physically built guy. I do follow him on works. Instagram for aesthetics. Ew. <laughs> All right. So he works perfectly in the role. So, yes, Tom Cruise was supposed to play that role. Mm-hmm. And I think it could have been a really exciting role for him, because that artificial machismo. I had no idea that Tom Cruise was supposed to play Cavill's character. Play, okay, so this is where our theory of Fallout begins. Okay. So Cruise was supposed to play the Cavill role, or had wanted it, or I, I believe he was scheduled to take it and then had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. I think there was there's probably a really interesting movie there of having Cruise play that very constructed male whatever. Cavill steps in. The narrative that Tom Cruise has given the public is that he goes to see Man from Uncle, sees what Cavill did with the role that he was going to take, and falls in love with it. And he's like, I've got to put that guy in Fallout. Right. Here is Billy's alternate theory <laughs> Cruise goes to Man from Uncle, sees Cavill in it, and is like, Motherfucker, you took my job. <laughs> Get ready for me to like fuck over the next two years of your life. <laughs> Because he casts him in this movie 
to be the guy that he will eventually humiliate yeah. and conquer and whatever. Oh, I love that. So that's where we start. Next, we have to get to a little film called <laughs> Justice. Justice League. Yeah. So actually, this is where I want to, this was a story I was going to tell. I'm so glad we did go back because this we was, need, we need we the man from this, Uncle yes. detail. Um, and not only, like, let's be clear, in Man from Uncle, Cavill is playing a spy. The idea that Cruz <laughs> is going to cast him in another movie where they're both spies and Cruz is going to be like, I'm a better spy than you. <laughs> Take that, Everett it's Cavill. Like, you think you're younger than me? <laughs> oh, 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 you, you do some bodybuilding? Yeah, Guess what? So what? I can fly out of planes. <laughs> and then he writes a scene where he can't, where Henry Cavill can't fly out Thank of plane. You. Exactly. It's all up on screen. This is like okay, some petty. Okay, I got it. This is, this is a beautiful theory. We cannot substantiate it in any way, shape, oh, or form. Oh, no. If you but. are like the, the, the slander lawyer for Tom Cruise, don't add us. Yeah. All right. This is our purely speculative. And so maybe this is where Henry Cavill's lawyer, if you're listening, don't add us either. So the trailer for Fallout comes out. It's amazing. Um, and I forget which trailer it was, but there's one where you see Henry Cavill do the shadow box move. He, he like, he pumps his arms like yeah. they're shotguns. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know what that move is called. I just know that I've thought about it. Probably Apparently it's something he improvised on set. Well, that's perfect. But like, I have thought about that move, like maybe every other day since I first saw you it. You can hear sound effects in your head. Like, boom, boom. Yeah, when he does it that don't exist on screen. You and <laughs> here's the thing. Like, I am... I'm not like a totally lazy person. I do exercise occasionally. Um, and one of the things I've always wanted to do is boxing. And mm. I haven't yet. But the reason why I still want to do boxing just that little bit more is because I want to do the cool Henry Cavill move. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I'm pretty sure you can do that without taking boxing lessons. Yeah, like, you I've just done did it in it front now. of a mirror and it looks stupid. So <laughs> anyways, one day I'll get there. Um but I messaged you about it, and I was like, man, Henry Cavill looks so cool. And then you wrote back, have you been following the news about his mustache? No, I think I just wrote back, what do you think about the mustache? Or like the $10 million mustache or whatever. And you were like, what? I don't know, it's fine. It's a mustache. Yeah. And I was like, no, have more of an opinion on this. <laughs> and then I Googled it, and I went, oh. And then, this, should we talk about that story right I, now? I think we have to. Okay, well, you, you've got it better than I do, so go ahead. Okay. So, uh, Cavill... Signs up to shoot Justice League, and then not long after that, film uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. And so the general way this works, and if you're an industry insider, forgive me because I'm going to get slight details wrong, but generally the way you sign up in a big blockbuster contract is you say, like, you have me for months X to whatever in my priority position to do the main uh, primary filming on, let's say, Justice League. It sounds so much like human ownership. Like, it's a bit... Weird. I guess. Continue. <laughs> and then you say, you also have me uh, for these next, I don't know, three months or whatever after that to do reshoots if we need, if, you know, you missed a shot and you go back and need to retake it. But, like, I, that's no longer my priority. If I book something else, like, you have to work with my schedule and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So for this period, he's booked to be, you know, his first priority is to film Fallout. And the lower priority is to do reshoots on Justice League. Two things happen at the same time that are like a perfect fucking storm of awfulness for Mr. Cavill. So the first thing that happens is that Justice League goes through basically the longest reshoots of like any movie ever. They film the entire thing and then scrap almost all of it and start again. So Mr. Cavill is needed 
for more reshoots than you usually would be. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that while filming Fallout, Mr. Cruz breaks his ankle, shatters his ankle, and primary filmmaking is put on hold. So that movie takes longer to make than it usually would. Just a fun fact about Tom Cruise breaking his ankle. So because they were the studio was still so committed to getting that film done, um, Tom Cruise was told it would probably take about nine weeks for the ankle to heal. And so for eight weeks, the studio paid all of the staff, basically, so they wouldn't sign on to different projects. Right. So it supposedly cost the studio about like $80 million. Like they get it back in insurance but or so whatever. There's an upside and a downside to that, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, you know, the crew it's like okay you're getting paid for that time but also you can't do anything else Else. yeah so in theory this is not that much of a problem like if henry cavill needs to go back and forth between the two sets like he has a couple of long days but he gets it done or maybe they just wait and they film all of cavill stuff at the you know like a little later and they edit it all together the problem is that for fallout Someone has made the decision that Henry Cavill is going to have a spectacular, bushy, beautiful mustache (laughs) for the entire thing. And this is not a small mustache. This is like... It's prominent. It is prominent. It is eye-catching. And it's not like a well-groomed mustache. It's a weird mustache. It's like a brush. It's a very distracting mustache. (laughs) Superman, if you're a fan of the comics and or the movies... Very clean cut, that Superman. Yeah, that's sort of his whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) So Warner Brothers... The studio that produces Justice League goes to the producers of uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, and they're like, okay, so here's the deal. We, we need him without a mustache. Can, can we, like, rearrange our schedules just so, like, you know, you can get whatever you need with him, and then we'll film, we'll, we'll shave him or whatever. <laughs> and the producers are like, yeah, n- no. Well, and apparently then- <laughs> Christopher McQuarrie was like, sure, but then the studio execs were like, mm-mm, no, we got a schedule to keep yeah, here. we don't need to do that. Yeah. So then Warner Brothers is like, okay, listen. It's not that hard to digitally put a mustache onto someone's face. So what if we shave them and then we, Warner Brothers, will pay you for the special effects costs of putting a digital mustache onto his face? Can you imagine? What a ridiculous job to have. I I would love to interview the guy who would have had that job. Like, presumably, they had to contact people and get quotes. Yeah. Can you just do a mock-up of uh, Henry Cavill's mustache for me, please? Ooh, that's going to cost you six mil. Yeah. At least. So it's a very generous offer. And again, apparently, like, Christopher McCoy is like, yeah, okay, sure. And then the studio's like, eh, Just can't nah, do it, guys. Can't I, do it. I don't know. So the only way they could make this work is they filmed Henry Cavill as Superman with the mustache. And, and then, then they had to basically erase it, Photoshop it out. And if you have seen Justice League, this is a very noticeable thing. It's incredibly distracting in the movie. It looks very weird. <laughs> We're sorry, Henry Cavill. Your face is beautiful. It's not your fault that it's a bit off in well, this one movie. I So this is my first thing. Just speculating. Okay. Was Tom Cruise like, that face is too beautiful next to mine. <laughs> it's put part a of mustache your theory. On it. <laughs> or two, was it, if I put a mustache on him, he can't film anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so already the like pissing contest begins. So the second part. I'm going to give Tom the benefit of the doubt here. He couldn't have known that this uh, ankle breakage Whose was incoming. Whose fault was it that his ankle broke? Well, it was for it's this. It's all part of his master plan. <laughs> who has a better control of his body or who is a better stuntman in So he Hollywood? did it on purpose. Yes, that's what okay. I'm suggesting. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to let you have that theory because it's a... Uh... Hilarious? Yeah, it is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all of which is to say, it makes my watching of Mission Impossible fallout. That much more fun? To be like, that 
mustache cost millions of dollars. So <laughs> it's much the world's money. Most, most expensive, expensive mustache. Expensive mustache, yep. So that's uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> that was uh, the Caval Kitty Corner, brought to you by Penny the Podcat. Meow, meow. <laughs> and uh, all right, with that out of the way, now that I've set up everything I'm going to need to make my case for the fantastic and hilarious dynamic between Cruz and Cavill in this movie, shall we just get right into it? We should. So, opening scene. So, again, we are getting some pretty great music over the opening credits. With all the different producing teams involved. And then all of a sudden it just sort of stops. And we're in a, I don't know, it looks like it's Hawaii or something. Yeah, they're next to the water. And so it's Tom Cruise with Julia. Yes. And it looks like they're They're being married. married, Which is interesting because we've seen their wedding already. Yeah. Mission Impossible 3. And their, um, I don't know, their pastor, their We see the back of their pastor, yeah. The the voice sounds a little familiar. A little familiar. A little familiar. And as we get a bit closer to the couple, so the camera is zooming in on this little little happy wedding day. Um, the vows are being read, and then they're your typical vows until all of a sudden they take a dark turn. Almost the way that uh, Ethan's briefing in Mission Impossible 5 took a turn. It turns out. Do you vow to deceive and whatever? Ruin her life. Yeah, exactly. And Ethan's like, wait, what? No. And Julia's just like smiling happily like So he looks over at the officiant, who is? Solomon Lane. And before we can even really consider this... Ethan wakes up. No, mushroom cloud in the distance. Explodes, and then there's right, a very right. detailed face disintegration animation on <laughs> Ethan and Julia. And then he wakes up. And now, when I saw this scene the first time, to be honest, I was like, eh, that's a weird way to start this. Like, usually these are a little more grounded in reality. But I'll tell you, after having rewatched Mission Impossible 1 lately, where Ethan has the dream about Phelps coming back from the dead, I was like, Oh, nice. This is all tying together. This is a thing that happens to Ethan. He has bad dreams about people dying. Yes. And the one thing um, I do want to mention before it gets away, one of the things that evil nightmare Solomon Lane says to Ethan is, you know, you're ruining this woman's life in a futile attempt to escape your own true self. And Mm -hmm. that's when Ethan looks really scared. And that's when the explosion happens. This movie has so many characters commenting on Ethan, the character. And I love it. I, I flagged a bunch of things. So the next scene is Ethan waking up from the dream. But before we even get there, I do want to say that, sort of throwing back to what we said before, I think the reason why this movie works so well for me and works even better after having watched all of the other Mission Impossible movies leading up to this one, actually, you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, hell yeah. So um, Vulture did this interview with the cast members, and they are like, what's your favorite cold open? And a few of the... Uh, the actors responded. The their favorite was the scene when Jake Peralta comes in and he's talking to his child, uh, his colleagues, his colleague Charles, and he's like, "Hey, Charles, what did you do over the weekend?" And Charles says, "Oh, you know, saw bullets over Broadway over the weekend. Came down with a Diane Weist infection." And then there's just a pause, and the camera just like cuts back between the two of them looking at each other, just keeps going, and then Charles says, "Like yeast," and then it's. <laughs> <laughs> the opening and the reason why that works so well is because you know the characters. That joke makes zero sense. Okay, 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 okay. So let's talk about this. Okay. Because this was my next note about what happens next is there's 
So Ethan wakes up. He's on a cot in Belfast. Mm. Looks like he is really sticking to the kind of sad life we've seen him living for the last yeah. little while. I, I have written the narrative in my head that he's gone to uh, Belfast to visit Zen and uh, John Reese Myers, who have <laughs> retired Happily there. Happily married. They've got a couple of kids. I'm, I'm almost certain John, Jonathan Reese Myers is from is not from Northern Ireland, but whatever. Doesn't matter. You skip over that. And he's had a hard night out and has like crashed in a hostel. I don't know. Anyway, but no, I it like looks like, backstory. it Good. looks like he's again living this very Spartan existence. So. Mm-hmm. But then uh, a, a fellow IMF agent knocks at the door and they have a, uh, another an cold exchange. war coded conversation. And this exchange, I, I, I think if this was like the first movie in a series and it opened with this exchange, uh, I'd be like, ooh, that's a, that's a little rough. But <laughs> what I love about serialized narrative filmmaking is that you fall into a groove, you you become a little more accepting of certain things, and because you have that relationship, things land in a different way. And when Ethan yes. has this exchange... When he it, says, one of my favorite lines oh, of the movie... Okay, so I'm I'm going to tee you up for it. So okay. um, uh, the, the other agent says, uh, uh, fate says to the warrior... The storm is coming. And the warrior says back... I am the storm. Boom. <laughs> now, if that was the opening of like a brand new spy series, you'd I'd be, be like, like, what the fuck? Okay, turn this off. I'm yeah. going to bed. <laughs> but now I'm like, fuck you, Ethan's the storm. <laughs> he is though. And like, that's the thing. Again, like obviously Brooklyn Nine-Nine is completely different. But for me, it was like the most recent show that I've watched where I was like, there is so much time and thought that has gone yes. into making these characters as real as possible. And I think one of the things we've talked about over the course of this franchise is that Ethan is kind of a little bit of, what did you say in our first episode? He wears many masks. (laughs) One of my favorite Billy moments. Um, But he doesn't really in this one. I think we're seeing Ethan at his most Ethan. Like Ethan is a human being now. But what's interesting is that like, there's kind of nothing there. Disagree. Okay. Can I skip ahead? Because, okay. Because in the next scene, he's going to meet the guy who's going to sell him plutonium. And the guy goes, uh, I have a voice in my head that uh, uh, tells me uh, about what's good and what's bad, and I, I rely on this voice. But when I see you, there's nothing there. The voice tells me nothing. Okay, and so- I dig that that other people are like, "Yo, I can't read this guy. There's nothing to him." But I think Ethan's team can, right? And oh. so oh. counter argument okay. to that. But well, well, we should first establish that the reason why Ethan is meeting with this guy is because his mission, should he choose to accept it, is so, to basically stop the apostles where, from getting the plutonium. Where does this secret message delivery system rank for you? So, first of all, it's within an old-timey book, Homer's copy Odyssey, of the Odyssey, which is like a little on the nose, but yeah, okay. I was like, hmm, odd literary choice, but yeah. all right, I'll go with you. <laughs> it's I, also McHugh's voice, but sorry, I call him McHugh, McHugh. now, so I watched yep. an interview with Tom Cruise where he was like, you know, McHugh and I, and I was like, who's McHugh? Oh, Christopher McQuarrie. Henceforth, he is McHugh now for me as well. Um, that's his voice uh, in the Doing, recording. Do the the so yeah, yeah, the book opens and there's a little like analog projector in it. Yeah. And then it, it's kind of setting up some themes of our movie um, kind of early because what does Ethan need to do to activate this? He uh, has to prick his finger blood, and yep. actually bleed on it. He's got. <laughs> <laughs> you thought about that more than I did. I, well, no, on the rewatch, after having talked about like. Because this is the one where they're going to take everything we've seen in the past five movies and really squeeze it together about how Ethan has a problem when faced with the decision between the lives of many and the lives of one, he will always make the wrong decision. Well, in this movie, though, they're saying that's the right decision. Well, I don't think it's the wrong decision. It's mathematically and objectively the wrong decision, but... I have notes on this, actually. So I don't want to get into it too much, but like (laughs) this scene and then a scene that's going to come in like 10 minutes, 
they're hitting you heavy on the head. Like these are our themes. <laughs> and I was into it. Okay. So yes, what is his mission? So he has to basically, um, well, no, let me back up. In the absence of Solomon Lane, the syndicate has kind of broken out into um, like a new bad Even guy group. Even more radical splinter groups. Which are called the Apostles, yeah. and um, which is called the Apostles. And they're basically terrorists for hire. Um, they've released smallpox in Kashmir, mm-hmm. threatening one third of the world's population. And um, it's being contained, but now Ethan has a new job, which is to prevent the Apostles from obtaining plutonium from a guy that they know nothing about except for his name. And the name is John Lark. Did I get that I, right? I think it's John Lark is trying to get the plutonium. plutonium to get to the apostles. I mean, it doesn't really matter. John yeah. Lark is an apostle who has released this manifesto that is all sorts of batshit crazy bonker stuff about how basically there needs to be a nuclear war that will annihilate most of the population in order for there to be peace. Yeah, the greater the pain, the better the world will be in the end. I'm, I'm messing up the manifesto. No it's, but. no, it's the greater the suffering, the greater the peace. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, ex- exactly what you said. And so I don't know if you saw this, but they put up a map of like where the nuclear fallout's going to be. Did you see that Toronto, Toronto and Calgary got yes. a shout out? I was like, oh shit, we're coming up in the world. Like, <laughs> Go Canada. <laughs> usually we are not in the nuclear devastation montage, yeah. but okay. So yeah. So Ethan is going to intercept the, the, He's going to buy the plutonium so no one else can get it, basically. Yeah. Which brings us to the next scene where he's waiting for that buyer. And we've Wearing got- an uncharacteristically bad suit for Ethan. It was, the suit's nice. It's the suit-shirt combo. Wasn't working for me. He's, he's playing a character who like hangs out with arms dealers. I did focus more on the lovely joshing between him, Benji, and Luther. Yes. They have like, Aw, really, the really great interplay here where Benji is a little worried and... The other guys, it's like they're his big brothers and they're just teasing him. And it's it just sets up for you again that these are men who really deeply care about each other. They're more than friends. They're family. And so I'm wondering if I should get a take out of the way right now. Okay. Um, much like last movie, the interplay between the team here is fantastic. However, by introducing Henry Cavill's Agent Walker... We get a lot less of the team, the other team members. We're focusing on Walker. And I don't think he's as interesting or their interplay is as interesting as just seeing the the old gang back together. And that's a point I'm going to have to put against this movie, having watched it so close to Rogue Nation. I don't think you're wrong about that. Um I actually think it gives a more credence to your theory that Tom Cruise really had it out for Henry Cavill when making this movie because unless you were planning, like they were with Jeremy Renner, unless you were possibly planning a future movie with Henry Cavill's character, it doesn't really make sense to give him so much screen time at the expense of Luther and Benji. Yes, and and so I'll save my next part of that for as we keep going. But that's that's my initial hot takeoff off the top because I agree with you this first scene where just like the three buds are back together I'm like yeah. oh, I love this I'd watch just a million hours of this yeah but anyway right away Ethan is going to be faced with the first I'm going to I'm going to keep a tally of this okay the first choice between the lives of the many and the lives of the few yes where so during the trade uh Luther gets kidnapped yeah um and there's a scene where Tom Cruise, sorry, Ethan calls for the money. He's like, Luther, bring the money. And then he just kind of keeps saying, Luther, bring the, bring the money. Like, it'll somehow change. <laughs> like, yeah. He's gone. Um, and it turns out that Luther is being held hostage by the apostles. And they're, they've killed the other bad guy. He's gone. And now yeah. Ethan has to decide between getting the plutonium or, or saving, saving Luther. Luther. 
at Ving Rhames. Great line reading here. Don't you do it, Ethan. Not, Not for me. For me. <laughs> so much Really emotion. sells it. Yeah. <laughs> but then what does Ethan do? He, of course, he says, I'm sorry, Luther. Shoots, Shoots Luther. Him in the chest. <laughs> and at first I was like, <gasps> because the Tom, the, I keep calling him Tom, the Ethan Hunt that I know would never kill a team member. Well, come on. Okay. But he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Well, we like, didn't know that the first time. I was trying to remember my first initial reaction. I mean, I would love to see the version of this movie where Ethan kills his best friend in the first five <laughs> minutes, but I, I wasn't it. That's the fallout for the rest of the movie yeah. where it's just he's Ethan just like on a like a bummed out. bender <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drinking the pain away. But anyway, so dark. he makes his first choice to save the life of one over the many, and he loses the plutonium. Yes. Cut to... Okay. <laughs> Cut to the greatest... Cut of all time. So, again, I'm going to take us back to being that movie theater, seeing this movie for the first time. First of all, this is the this is still the opening. We haven't seen the credits I yet. Wait, wait, yeah. And things are happening that aren't things I want to cheer about. First, we have Ethan's Nightmare. Then we have a mission that goes awry. And now we are in a scene where... We cut to a television screen. Wolf, <laughs> Wolf Blitzer... Greatest name of all time. Yeah, he's telling us that what? Uh, Jerusalem, the Vatican, and Mecca have been nuked. Yeah, so there's been three nuclear attacks, and we're in a hospital room. We see where the a hospital room where the screens are up, and we can see Wolf still giving this devastating news. Ethan just looks grim and defeated, and lying in the bed is the nuclear specialist. And as I'm watching this the first time, I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to watch this movie, like <laughs> because. We think that the attacks actually have happened because I'm like, Ethan this is a failed too grim in to our keep the plutonium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just remember actually looking at Billy during this being like, this is not what I signed up for. What's and it happening? Was, as I had that feeling that I was like, oh, wait a minute. Because <laughs> we're now going to get our first or I guess our second callback to Mission Impossible 1 where – they they go they 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 tell the nuclear scientist ah, look you did it you bumped it but and the we, nuclear scientist is like you have to read my manifesto and then I'll give you the code that will unlock the phone which will allow them to figure find out, John out Lark. yeah where right. John Lark is so they're like Ethan uh, threatens him Luther tries to hold it back and then the, Ethan's like uh, let me make a call now if you're the guy in the bed you should maybe be suspicious about how easy all this next part is. Because Ethan picks up his cell phone and he's like, uh, yeah, go ahead. Then on the screen, somebody just hands a piece of paper to Wolf. <laughs> he's like, I've received a manifesto. <laughs> There's a bit of a second delay in there. Like bit. maybe just email it off. Maybe they're poised, ready to go. But then so scientist is like. Too late to stop me now. I don't, I'll unlock my phone. <laughs> and and then, he unlocks the phone. And then Ethan says, did we get it? And then Luther says, we got it. And then the music Lights go changes. down. The walls, the walls fall. fall away. Wolf Blitzer walks in. And it's... Mask grip! Benji! Benji, Benji got to wear his he's mask. He's finally wearing a mask. And it's Wolf Blitzer. Made my heart so happy. <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. So Ethan was in charge all along. He yes. had it planned out. It was perfect. And at that moment, the joy I felt where I was like, yes, no, this is my Mission Impossible. This is what I wanted. And then... Theme music, opening montage. It's so great. It's a good one. It's a very good one. Um, I don't know if it quite hit the highs for me of Rogue Nation, but I like this one is so thematically perfect for the movie. Well, that's the note that I made because the theme song is actually a little bit more muted in comparison. Like, and, it's, it, and it's got like a, it's it's almost like a like a techno vibe or something running in it. Yeah, and there's a lot more percussion in this theme, yes, and that'll yes. come out later on in the movie. But it's it's. 
appropriate, as you said, for this movie, because this isn't a movie that's driven by its stunts. I mean, like, it's got some spectacular stunts in here, but we've got a character movie, I think, for, like, a real for character sure. movie for yes. the first real time in this franchise. Yes, we are going to really interrogate everything that makes Ethan tick for the next two and a half hours. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of characters, uh, enter Alec Baldwin. Enter Alec Baldwin, the only person who could pull off this next scene, because yes. basically they're they're on a tarmac. Ethan's about to fly off on his next mission, and he's like, hey, boss, listen, uh, about Berlin, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. And Alec Baldwin is like, I- I'm going to stop you right there and tell you the theme of the movie. He's <laughs> like, you had a terrible choice to make in Berlin, but you made the right choice. Having you out there means I never have to worry about the life of the individual. You're a good person. Keep on doing stuff. Yes. And again, much like last movie, if this was anyone other than Alec Baldwin, you might be a problem. It. But this, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I was thinking about this, I was like, does Christopher McQu- does Christopher McQuarrie owe Wes Anderson royalties? <laughs> because, like, was it Wes Anderson who cracked the, like, if you have Alec Baldwin say anything in Alec Baldwin voice as, like, a narrator, it oh. just makes your movie better? I'll bet he at least takes him out for dinner and drinks every right. once in a while. Like, every single time Wes is in town, he's like, yeah, I owe you, come on. He's got just, like, the Royal Tannenbaum's poster <laughs> signed yeah. up on his wall. So... We're, we've established that Mr. Secretary truly believes in Ethan Hunt. He left the CIA for yeah. Ethan. And then we have some more CIA people come in. Right. So so Baldwin is trying to send him off to um, Paris because that's where John John Lark is. Yeah. But before he can get on the plane. Enter Angela Bassett and Mr. Mustache himself. <laughs> and what happens is a really great scene where it's sort of like, um, two kids who have had a fight on the playground and then their parents are having the fight while yes. the kids are <laughs> hanging back. And can we just take a moment to appreciate how wonderful Angela Bassett oh is in this God, role? God, she's great. I can't even remember her character's name. It doesn't uh, even matter. Erica Sloan. Right. Who basically comes up and she's like, nope, I'm pulling the plug. You are not sending this, I don't even, you, you're, not, <laughs> you're not sending this goober off <laughs> to Paris after what he just did in Berlin. Which, you know, it's yes. not completely unfair. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Henry Cavill in the background just, like, lurking. Arms crossed, like, <laughs> kind of staring down Ethan, and Ethan's like, who the fuck are you? you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and there's a great exchange where Baldwin's like, what do you want him to do? If he'd gotten the plutonium, his whole team would have gotten killed. And Erica Sloan goes, That's yes, the job. That's the job. Yeah. She also has another amazing line. So now she's explaining that um, wherever wherever Ethan goes... Her guy will follow, and her guy is, um, oh my gosh, what's his name in the movie? Walker. Walker. You prefer a scalpel? I I use a hammer. (laughs) She's so great. It's I prefer a hammer. Prefer a hammer. (laughs) And then she has a whole thing. Throughout this movie, people are going to disparage men who choose to wear masks. Yes. (laughs) She has a whole thing about like, men in masks. Well, what she says is the IMF is Halloween, Alan. Grown men in masks playing trick or treat or something right. like that yeah and then later walker's gonna pick up a mask and be like yeah. people fall for this shit <laughs> which make a Foreshadowing. note <laughs> so uh, basically ethan's got to take walker with him on this mission yes yeah so what is their mission so right now they're on a plane yeah and this is a real military plane let's just like throw that out there i forget exactly what it is but yeah. this is leading to a stunt the most famous stunt from this movie um, but before we get there, the mission is that Ethan and Walker have to do a halo jump into Paris. Like a halo jump into Paris where they're going to infiltrate a party where... Um, John Locke. Uh, John, John Lark is Lark. supposed to be. <laughs> they're going to uh, make a mask of Lark, impersonate Lark, go buy the plutonium. Mission accomplished. From a buyer or broker? From 
from a broker called White, White Widow. Widow. Which is a great point for me to introduce our cocktail of the week. It is also called a White Widow. Is is White Widow a thing? Like, I I don't know. Where? I just googled White Widow cocktails, and it was like the first one that came okay. up. So it's tequila, Malibu, coconut rum, triple sec, coffee liqueur, and cream. And by gosh, is it sweet? Yes, very very good. Uh, but so they're on the plane, and like already. Agent Walker is showing that, like, he's going to be pissy throughout this whole thing. Because Ethan's like, listen, we're going to do this and this and this. He's like, I don't want it. And Ethan's like, (laughs) Ethan has a great line. He goes, you better listen to me because if you mess up this halo jump, the last thing that's going to go through your mind is your knees. (laughs) Your kneecaps. Yeah, it's so funny. Um. Do you want to talk about the halo? You've wanted to talk about this halo jump for weeks. I just, I like, okay. So the halo jump is amazing. High altitude, low opening. Yes. So, so you jump from higher than you usually would, and you open your parachute lower, lower. than you usually would. And it's would. an actual military technique. It's to enter a country undetected, essentially. Yeah. And to back up a little bit, to take us out of the magic, um, in order to get this shot, they had a very limited window in which to shoot it because it's taking place basically um, at dusk. So right between daytime and nighttime. Which is hilarious because... It's, it's almost like an extra challenge they've set for themselves. Like, if you wanted to, you could write around this as, like, <laughs> either it's happening at night or it's happening at day. But they're like, no, 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 no. Let's do it at the time where we have such a specific light requirement that we'll only have, like, five minutes to do it. Basically, yeah. They had, essentially, three minutes a day where they had to shoot this scene. And the scene itself lasts for less than a minute. And the way that they did it, watching the scene be shot was, I think... It's actually more impressive to watch than the scene itself. A little, yeah. So the one thing, we already kind of talked about this, I think in like episode zero or episode one of this podcast. Um, So they had to specifically design a new Halo suit for this movie because beforehand the suit would have like a tube, like an oxygen tube on the the face. It makes sense to me. Like it actually, just having a giant glass plate in front of your face as you're falling for miles where like, birds and debris are around (laughs) really bad design idea however but for the movie we want to be able to see tom cruise's face and know the whole time that it's actually tom cruise making this jump and so they were designed they designed a whole new halo suit for him and of course now mr cavill Mm -hmm. and um the the way that they shot it was they had a cameraman who was basically always exactly three feet away from cruise in the air not which just Just doesn't make sense. Always three feet away in the air. And so while Tom Cruise is jumping forward, the cameraman was jumping backwards and just like filming Tom Cruise doing this jump. And so if you and I were to get on two bikes and you were like, Billy, you need to stay exactly three feet away from my camera, I couldn't do it. Just (laughs) couldn't do it. We'd be here for weeks. It would never get done. That they jumped out of a plane and managed to stay within three feet of each other. Because if you watch this great video, maybe we'll put the link in the show notes. We should, actually. It's so good. Tom Cruise has this whole thing about how, like, it couldn't be two and a half feet, couldn't be three and a half feet. It had (laughs) to be be three three feet. feet. What was the other thing he says in that video? I don't do things on a whim. (laughs) He's like, I I don't do things on a whim. And I'm like, I I don't know. Some of these are pretty whimsical. (laughs) So this is all to say, this is all the work that goes into making this incredible stunt. Uh, I think they jumped 106 times was the number that I got. Really? Oh, okay. But they only filmed it a few times, right? Because they would practice all day. Yeah, they would practice. And they they only had one one opening each day where they could actually They could only do it once a day. And um, 
the hardest part that I think, uh, I think it was Christopher McQuarrie who said that the hardest part about the that scene is actually that they shot it in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And then later they had to Photoshop in Paris. Paris. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, Tom Cruise, the movie star, and jumping so out of the plane. This is something that I think bumps me out about this stunt. And it's kind of what I said about the, um, the underwater tank last episode is that there's a lot of digital processing going on here. And so for... I, I didn't realize how much of this shot is real. Yeah. Um, because it looks like they did it all with computers, and we're now at a point where you could do all this with computers if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, so what happens in the scene is that as they're preparing to jump out of the plane, Ethan walks towards the precipice, and he goes, oh, nope, there's a storm. So they're above, lightning storm. Yeah, they're above the clouds, and he goes back to Walker. He's like, okay, we have to rethink this. And Walker's like, shut up, weenie. <laughs> jumps out of the plane and so ethan has to chase him he rips off ethan's oxygen tube because he's a child and we don't like him and jumps out of the plane ethan hurries to fasten it back jumps out after him beautiful shot this is perhaps where i could see you going yes this does not look real to me um uh henry cavill says to ethan what are you afraid of a little lightning? And of course they both immediately get struck by lightning oh it's great and the sound cuts out it's so good does ethan say the word Bitch. <laughs> he it wakes up. It really sounds like he says, bitch. <laughs> I don't know if he that's wakes just up. Like, no, he does. He wakes up and he says, son of a bitch. Oh, I only got bitch. And I was like, that's weird. Well, I made a note of that because I don't think we've ever heard Ethan react to any of the stunt work and, before. And later, we're going to get our first F-bomb in the entire Mission Impossible. This is very salty language in this movie. Well, I also just think it's like the film is cognizant of the fact that Tom Cruise is 50, he's, he's what? He's how old when they're shooting this movie? 53 or 55? Um, he's up there. What what I find really interesting, and I, I used to know this, the age difference between him and Baldwin, it's not a lot. Hang on. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna uh yeah, I don't I don't know how old exactly he is, but what I do know is that he's only four years younger than Alec, Alec Baldwin. Wow. Which is uh interesting. Can you imagine Alec Baldwin doing this halo jump? I, no, I'm wondering if that's why maybe he was like, kill me off in this. Like, I just, I can't stand next to this no. man any longer. He, yeah. he looks great. He looks fantastic. But yes. like standing next to someone who just doesn't age. Nope. Must be weird. So here is where perhaps like Billy with his theory is gleefully cackling as he rewatches this scene. Because. Because Walker has been struck by lightning. He's completely passed out. And yeah. now Ethan, Ethan has, has to. to save him. Yes. Because he's a better spy. <laughs> and so he reattaches his oxygen tank. And like it's well, funny. He has to give Walker his. He, Ethan has to give Walker his own right, oxygen right, tank. Right, 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 right. And the whole time Ethan is going, shit. And it's just like he's very upset and stressed because yeah. he has to deploy. The lady says, deploy, deploy. Deploy, deploy. And so he does. They land on top of, what is that fr- fancy French? It, I wrote down the fancy French greenhouse. Look it up. And I just failed to look it up. Versailles. So. <laughs> I don't know. Versailles in a different place. Yeah, I'm aware. We're going to call it <laughs> the fancy French greenhouse. Yes. So, um... Yeah, and then Walker has a stupid line. Looks like you lost your. Oxygen it's like you lost tank. your oxygen tank. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's almost like he hasn't realized that he passed out for a little bit. Like yeah. that's how. And so let's get into this. I you know I I just said a second ago. I think this character um, 
maybe takes away from some of the other characters. MJ and I had a little bit of a, bit of a disagreement about this when we were rewatching it. I actually think Henry Cavill is really good in this. I like that he is playing a, a dumb jock very well. He's playing the the dumb jock who read one book in first year and misunderstood it. You yeah. know, like he <laughs> it's a big he, Jack Carol. He read fan. Machiavelli and didn't get it. <laughs> You know, and it's like, no, I got theories yeah. and like, you're, and I think he's very good at it. And so this like passing out, not even realizing it and then like mocking Ethan. Yeah. It works very well for me. Yeah. And I, I like without all of your conspiracy theories in my brain, I'm just like, I loved Ethan's reaction to just like, fuck this guy. Like that's what his face is saying. And, and uh, in many of these movies, we've talked about how like, look, let's just get out of the way now. Uh, Agent Walker. Bad guy. He's our bad guy. In a lot of these movies, you know, the bad guy is kind of anonymous and uh, Ethan is kind of neutral to, like, doesn't even care about them. Yeah. I love how, like, petty and pissed off Ethan is about <laughs> this guy's very existence throughout this movie. It's very My role entertaining. My man from Uncle. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got Ethan and Walker entering the fancy greenhouse. It's a club. Yeah. And um, my first thought was, I want to be a DJ one day. And then my second thought was, why is that bathroom so white? This is a club and the bathroom is like just pristine. It's it's shiny. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's also funny because the room, the secret room behind this club, also pristine. Yes. Yes. Um, But yeah, so they go into this bathroom because they've tracked the guy they think is John Lark into the bathroom. They still don't know what he looks like, but they're trying to find him through like an ID bracelet. Their mission is um, he, like knock him unconscious or, or sedate him somehow, scan his face so they can make a mask. Yeah. And that's it. They get into the bathroom. This guy takes one look at Tom Cruise and one look at Henry Cavill. Knows that they're agents. Yeah. And they just start fighting. Is this the best hand-to-hand combat in the series, this scene? It actually kind of reminded me of the Ambrose scene from Mission Impossible 2. Sure, sure. But then I completely forgot that. And I'm actually going to bring that back later for a later fist fight scene in the movie. Um, But it was great. Like, I I think the reason why I was like, I'm going to stand by my opinion that no bathroom in the world, I don't care if it's a club in Paris, is that pristinely white. It's also gigantic. It's like a sports stadium bathroom. Exactly. But the set director was like, nope, for this scene, we need, it's just like shiny bright light. So as they're kicking crap out of each other, you don't miss a thing. And they're destroying this bathroom. Yes. So very early on in the fight, Walker, who is holding the very important laptop we need to make our mask. <laughs> hits uh, John in the face with John it. John Lark in the face with it. <laughs> so knocks him out. They've got him basically passed out in a bathroom stall now trying to make this mask. And they can't because Walker broke the machine. Yes. And then... Do uh, you think that was on purpose? Yeah, I think so. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't... He's trying to stop, right? His, the whole reason he's there actually is to stop them, right? So yes. presumably he did, did it on, on purpose. purpose. I think yeah. that's also why he tried to sabotage Ethan from even making the jump in the first place. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so they're hiding out in the bathroom. They get interrupted by some French dudes who... Who, like, are razzing them but are also weirdly supportive. Like, they exit Yeah, you can't like tell, a, like, are they making fun of them because they think they're having gay sex or are they like, <laughs> yeah, like, go for it, buddies. Yeah. Either way, they walk away singing Edith Piaf, which I was like... <laughs> Okay, screenwriters, that's maybe... <laughs> They're like, what French songs do we know? <laughs> what do we know about the French? What would they do? Hmm, make a sex joke and then sing Edith Piaf. I mean, that's not far off. <laughs> I don't think 
the people of France would be offended by that. So who have we, the Irish, the Scottish, the French, we're checking off all of Europe as we go through this series. So, um, but basically then Mr. Lark wakes wakes up up, and then continues to just kick their asses. Systematically takes down Cavill. Walker does the cool shadow box move. And then, I don't know, he gets knocked he, out somehow. And, and now then it's, he takes down Ethan. And just as he's about to take out oh Ethan. Oh, God, he's got a gun, and it's just like coming millimeter by like, millimeter closer to Ethan's face. And then face. all of a sudden, Bang. boom, bullet through Lark's head, and it's actually. Through his face, importantly. <laughs> and who, who got Ethan the kill looks shot? up, and it's Ilsa. it's Ilsa. And they both look stunned to see each other. Yeah, and so. I did not know this, but um, like, so on the rewatch after having seen this, after having seen uh, Rogue Nation so recently, I was a little bummed that she's not in this more and she doesn't have quite as much to do. So I didn't know this. She was seven months pregnant while she was filming this movie. So she's not in it quite as much, which like I would trade her for Lark in a heartbeat. I also think I can't substantiate this, but she did an interview on the Graham Norton show where they were talking about how Tom Cruise broke his ankle and they Mm -hmm. had to take that break. And um, she made a joke that she got pregnant during the break. So I don't okay. know if um, <laughs> that thus impacted like the rest of like how many f- scenes she had right, shot before right, that right. scene. But okay, it's just a fun. Fact. Anyway, she's great every second she's on screen here. It just because this is going to be the follow up and the rightful conclusion to what they set up in the last movie. I just wish we'd have had more time with her. But either way, they have some great exchanges here where. He lays, he, Ethan's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I can't tell you. And he's like, come on. And she's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> and he's like, let's continue with the mission. And then Walker's like, can you still make the mask? And he's like, like I, I need a face. <laughs> and she's Ilsa like, sorry about that. <laughs> pulverized him. So she decides that, no, Ethan decides that he's just going to pretend to be Lark and really hope that the White Widow has never met him before. And, and there's a really great... Uh, uh, really great, like, callback to kind of old-school Tom Cruise acting here where I can't remember if it's Ilsa or if it's Walker who says, uh, you don't understand what you're involved in. He goes, I don't understand what I'm involved in. I don't understand what I'm involved in. It's very much a, like, help me help you. Like, he's doing this kind of intense. But then at the very end, he goes, wait, what am I involved in? (laughs) Because he doesn't actually know. What am I involved in? It's... It's pretty great. Um, the other great line in this scene is where Walker is like, hope is not a strategy. And then Ilsa goes, mm, y'all oh, knew. Yeah. <laughs> and then her one great line as they decide to head off on the on the rest of the mission is she turns to Ethan after they've made their new plan and she goes, you should have come with me. I know. Oh, you should have. And he's actually really heartbroken in that scene because he's like, no, you were out. And she's like, we're never He's just out. thinking about his cot waiting for him in yeah. Belfast. <laughs> But, you know, the next day he probably had a nice play date with Zen and right. Jonathan Reese Meyer. So tell us about this new lady. <laughs> yeah. But sorry, you're right. He asks, I thought you were out. And she's like. Uh, yeah. And we don't want to like reveal it too much. But um, essentially what she does reveal to Ethan right now is that there are people in the room who are waiting for John Lark to show up for this meeting with the White Widow. And they're going to kill Lark. So she's like, if you impersonate Lark. You're going to die. Yeah. And Ethan is just like, I'll make it work. It's like, I'm Ethan. What are you, people trying to kill me? Great. It's a Tuesday. No, like. but like, here's the thing. I think this is the first time in this movie where we see sort of like the desperation and the panic okay. underneath okay. Ethan. So as he exits the bath, as he exits the bathroom and they're like, you're going to be Lark. You can't do it. And he's like, I'll make it work. And then as he hears this news that he's probably going to be shot for being Lark, he's just like, Dah. so it's very 
Ethan not really having a plan. He's mm-hmm. only guided by his determination to right. make it work and his morals really more than anything else. Like he's going to do the right thing. And that is Ethan Hunt. Right. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's just going to make it work. He's going to make it work. Yeah. That's all I wanted to say about that. So he goes in, immediately locks eyes with Vanessa Kirby playing our White Widow. And it turns out she is the daughter She's of Max. She's the daughter of someone we know, Max. So yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't have the faintest clue what is happening in this backroom meeting. <laughs> she is giving a speech to a group of like shady, fancy people. Yes. I don't understand if they're like bidding on the plutonium or, or what's going no, on. No, she's fundraising for something. Right. I think it's a what? legitimate Bombs? thing. Like, <laughs> well, no, because she's talking about her mother, Max. Like, yeah. I feel I, like it's an international I, consortium of bad people, <laughs> except they all get very shocked when violence breaks out later. So <laughs> who knows? Exactly. So um, Ethan and I, she doesn't really get her name called out a lot in this movie. She's just called the White Widow. And yeah. I think they mentioned her name once. So I'm just going to call Max her Vanessa. <laughs> yeah. So Vanessa is all just like, you want my thing? Really? Whatever. I'm just flirting at you right now. And Aggressively flirting yeah. with him. It's a little awkward, but um, what, what what is it she says to him? Like, for someone of your reputation, I was expecting someone uglier. <laughs> Yeah, it's something like what that. What kind of a pickup line is that? Well, and it's weird because he had the same flirtation with her mother. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like a weird kind of like I don't know, like tuck everlasting thing where he's like, <laughs> I don't age, so I'll just wait for her daughter. And Ew. Then... So, um, White Widow's brother shows up. He's a Zola. big lunk, yeah. not very smart, and... who is not into the fifty-five-year-old man hitting on his sister. <laughs> yeah. Understandably. Yep. Um, so basically what Ethan decides to do is convince the White Widow that um, he is her only ticket out of there. So those people who have showed up to kill Lark, yep. he tells her that they're actually here to kill her as well. And um, she can take a risk and not believe him, but she might die. So Big fight breaks out. Um, White Widow pulls a knife out of her garter belt, which it's is like a nice. like a switchblade thing, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um Ilsa does my favorite move, which made she me so happy. And did you notice this? She's not wearing shoes. Of course she's not. Yeah. Just please. It's funny. She like, she. Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> she drops like one guy and then just kind of like looks at Ethan, like just kind of nods at him. And then, yeah. And then like walks away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm still here. <laughs> um, so essentially they get out and now they're at um, the White Widow's like huge mansion. Now this is Versailles, right? <laughs> Max did very well for right. herself, bought this province, <laughs> no, this palace, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so basically, uh, Ethan gets there, he's brought Walker along, and he's like, okay, I'm here, just let me buy the plutonium. And she's like, buy the plutonium. You misunderstood, sir, I'm a broker. A broker, you have to. She's also in a plutonium. nightgown at this point, because why not, I guess, in the seduction uh, yeah. game. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so... It turns out that instead of just getting the plutonium, uh, Lark slash Ethan is going to have to steal someone in exchange for the plutonium. Yes. And who is that someone? Solomon Lane. Dun, dun, dun. And as we've learned, Solomon Lane, because he was running the syndicate and because the syndicate had agents from basically every single country in the world, he's now on like a publicity tour. <laughs> Where he gets handed over from government to government, where each government interrogates him to ask, like, what? Like, what he knows. How did he infiltrate yeah. their system? Um, and so, yes, they have to free him. That's the price of getting the plutonium. Yeah. Okay, so wait, no, now you're totally right. So Lark has the plutonium, and that's 
the price he's set. But then how did Lark expect to get the plutonium? None of, okay. What? I'm a little. <laughs> so Lark doesn't have the plutonium yet. Uh, White but Widow still does. who has set the price that the price of the plutonium is getting out Lane? I think it is Lark. So Lark is selling plutonium to himself? I th- have we just confused ourselves? I've confused you. <laughs> I've confused myself, yeah. Okay, doesn't matter. Anyway, that's his mission. This is the point where White Widow should be like, eh, because Zola's like, this guy pointing to Ethan, like, this guy's gonna, gonna this, this guy's John Lark, this guy's gonna break out Solomon Lane. And uh, Ethan goes, I murder women and children with smallpox. I know. I have no line. It's, it's not his most convincing performance. No, and you can tell that Ethan on the inside is crying. Um, because right before this, we actually had a preview mini heist of what uh, White Widow's mission for Lark slash Ethan is. Oh, hang on. There's something that happens before this that we have to talk about because this goes into my whole thing about like why I'd trade the character of Walker for anyone else. Okay. So before we get the heist scene, they walk out with their mission. We cut to um, Walker meeting with Erica Sloan in like dawn in Paris in the most beautiful setting I've ever seen. They're I was on a like, roof somewhere. Just sit down with a coffee and a croissant. Like, don't worry about <laughs> it. She probably did after. But, right. But so Walker's like, uh, listen up. I have proof that Ethan Hunt is John Lark and that he's been running this whole thing from inside the IMF. It's the perfect plan because he could run missions against Lark while being Lark and he'd assume his own yeah. secret identity. And Angela Bassett is like, um, convince me of this a little bit. And then... He handily has a cell phone that will prove this. Yes. Now, what is interesting here is that, like, they're basically telling us pretty early on in the movie here that Walker is Lark. Right? Like, they don't say it explicitly, but... It's obvious if you're looking for the clues, yeah. kind of no other way after this scene. I'm like, if you weren't going to play with the tension of keeping us wondering about who Walker is, kind of what was the point of him... And I would have rather had that tension played out with like, will they, won't they with Ilsa or like Ethan's dynamics with Benji and, and Luther. It's, it's, it's weird to me that they kind of blow the mystery so early or maybe are they just being smart about like, everybody's going to get that this new guy who suspiciously showed up is the bad guy. Let's not like waste time on it. So because the movie is still so new to me, I've only seen it twice um, and that is not something I picked up on either of my rewatches. I'm sure by rewatch six, I probably would have been like, this guy's taking up too much screen time. More Benji. Come on right. now. But um, I think you present a valid point, actually. And I don't disagree with and you. And I, like, look, I really like Cavill in this movie. I think there is a cool thing going on. I just, it, this movie, this movie only suffers by comparison to its immediate predecessor. That's all. And that's like very high praise that you can give to this entire creative team is like, you were so great last time that it's hard. Anyway, I, this is not me like trying to pick nits. I'm just talking about how I want more Benji. Anyway. We all want more Benji. Everybody wants more Benji. We should make a button. More Benji. More Benji. Potswag.com. Yeah. There is not a more Benji. I will cut that. Okay. <laughs> um, so. Now we get our heist planning scene. Okay. So the, the, there was a preview heist planning scene while they were still in the mansion, which is um, the one that I was referring to, which is where. Um, the widow's version of the heist scene ends up with basically Ethan and his team gunning down a bunch of Parisian cops. Right, yeah. And that's what Ethan is just like, mm, not going to do that, can't do that. But um, we don't yet know how he's going to get around this. So now we are seeing the exact same scene start to play out in real mm-hmm. time, and we still don't know how 
they're going to extract Lane without killing all of these right. innocent because French cops. Ethan and Walker are stationed inside of like a, a big SWAT truck thingy, and what they're supposed to do is um, like block. Up. They're supposed to the entire convoy carrying Lane is going to get ahead of them. Then they're going to pull out and block off their retreat. I couldn't remember the word convoy, and so I just wrote down car parade. <laughs> Solomon Lane Braid. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so we're like, yeah, how is he going to switch things up? Yeah. So essentially what happens is the police van that's holding uh, Solomon Lane ends up getting rammed into well, the river. A, yes. That's, that's Ethan's big yeah. move. So I'm just going <laughs> to knock the car carrying Lane into the river. The other great setup we should mention is that Walker puts it together and he's like, oh shit, you, Ethan, you're undercover as John Lark right now, but Solomon, Lane's, Solomon Lane knows who you are. So once you free him... How He's long gonna do you think like, that's going to stay silent? And, uh, hey, White Widow, <laughs> not John Lark. And Ethan says, I'll burn that bridge when we cross it. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So um, essentially, Solomon Lane is still strapped into the police van, which has been flipped oh, upside a, down, and it's filling with water. It's shot. such a cool shot as yeah. the water, Wall of water like, is, just like waves yeah. at him. And again, we talked about this in a previous episode, but drowning is my personal nightmare. Yep. So as much as I dislike Mr. Lane, I was just still like, oh, don't and drown, don't drown. You're a little like, how is Ethan going to get out of this? And then the one great thing I will say about not having had the team here is that like, you've almost forgotten that they're a presence of this movie. Yes. And, and so when they show up, scuba it's, diver. it's even better. Yeah. So scuba diver comes in, puts a mask over Lane's head, make sure he's got oxygen. And I'm fast forwarding a little bit yep. here, but essentially Solomon Lane ends up on a cool little cruisy boat with in Luther shackles. and Luther. Benji. Maybe. Maybe my favorite Luther hat of the series here. He's wearing a beautiful straw fedora, just like driving this boat through the canals of Paris. It's very funny. He waves to the cops who are passing <laughs> <I know>. by. <laughs> Is that why you have a straw fedora? I have owned a straw fedora for long before this <laughs> okay. movie. But I was just wondering if there was a it was moment more, of inspiration. My history with straw fedoras made me appreciate his all that okay, more. Got it. Listeners, please know I don't wear fedoras. <laughs> no, I, really I promise. Don't. I wouldn't hang I, out it with It comes that out guy. once a year when I go to the beach, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> This is really important to me. Yes. This has to go in the show notes. Billy doesn't wear fedoras. <laughs> okay. Patreon exclusive. Billy talks about why he doesn't wear fedoras. Okay. So. All um, right. So we can't really break down the chase scene in Paris because there's just a lot happening. It's really cool. One thing to point out is that at one the point. The team gets split up. They, yeah. They get split up. Um, Ethan gets on a motorcycle. The motorcycle doesn't work. And so Walker goes ahead without him. Yeah. And then um, Ethan ends up basically chasing, running away from the police by himself. Um, he crashes. And Amazing shot of him driving by the Arc de Triomphe. I like. know. Oh my God. The, okay. So this is like maybe the most famous roundabout in the world. And yeah. I've just established I was in Ireland this past summer. And that's, this isn't the first time I've encountered roundabouts, but roundabouts are insane. They are so stressful. I don't like them. And now you've got. I understand how they're like objectively better. I do too. But if but you've grown up with intersections your entire life, you get to them and you're like, what is this you fucking just, commie shit? I just want to make you, a left turn. You scream the whole way through, or at least that's what my yeah. family does. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Inspiring fights in North American families since always. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the Arc de Triomphe roundabout, like there's no lanes. Like people are just like, <laughs> yeah. like I can't imagine anything more stressful than driving through that roundabout. And Ethan is just riding a motorcycle backwards against the stream of cars. Yeah. And the whole time I was just like, oh my God. Anyways, 
He gets out. He crashes. He pulls a knife. <laughs> he, he hits a car. It looks so brutal. Again, again, I'm pretty sure about, he did that. Like he actually like flung himself. Again, off. Speaking about Ethan's like uh, brain trauma, like that yeah, to, to chalk up another concussion. <laughs> but like he flips over a car, lands, and immediately gets up with a knife. And he's limping, but he starts running real fast. It's also great. Uh, he does nothing with the knife. He, he just pulls it out. In no, case. he does though, because when he launches himself over the hedge, we don't know why he has the knife. Oh. He cuts through the screen. To okay. drop into the canal. Where Benji and Luther are waiting with the boat. Yeah. I missed that when I was watching. I was like, why does he, does he pull a knife? Is that just like an automatic reflex? So like, the concussion reflex. Right. <laughs> um, he meets up with everybody else. because yep. And then Ethan is faced with his next choice of the life of one versus the life. Yeah. The so they think they've pulled it off. They've got Lane. They're all getting into their tiny little car, their tiny little BMW to get away. And they open the garage door and there is a French policewoman. Yeah. She's like a traffic cop or something. Yeah. Who is just an innocent bystander because she was never part of the protection crew for Lane. She's just literally doing her job. And then all of a sudden, she's now caught in the middle between the IMF team and White the Widows. The man they clearly have caught yeah. hostage. And and so she's like about to call it in. And Ethan's entire plan is to be like, s'il vous plaît, non. Non. S'il vous plaît, non. Like, just saying no. He's telling her to just please walk away. He's going to convince her. Can you imagine trying that with a cop? Just don't. You get pulled over for a ticket. Just please. No. 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 <laughs> uh, doesn't work. <laughs> Clearly doesn't work. Um, but then we see Walker getting ready to ice this lady. Yeah. He's looking real mustachy and Well, evil. and I think he, we see him like pulling a gun. Yes. And then you're right. Zola's men. They show up and then uh, they shoot her. She's not dead. Yeah. Um, and they're going to kill her. And you can see Ethan, again, doing his little Ethan math going, she shouldn't be alive anyways, but I can't let, she's innocent. And so he decides instead to kill all of. All the, the White Widow's guys. men. Yeah. Great scene where he walks with the cop and he's like, oh, Je suis désolé. And she gives this like really smitten look where she's I like, know. Aw. <laughs> like, like, who are these assholes who just got me shot? I guess they're yeah. okay. Go on. <laughs> so they're all driving away. And then who shows up? It is Ilsa. And she legit tries to kill Ethan here. She <laughs> fires a bullet right at the driver. Well, she I don't think she knows that it's him. Like, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt here. Okay. She's not trying to kill Ethan. She would never try to kill Ethan. She's certainly trying to wound him. She's, she's, she's <laughs> she, firing bullets aggressively she, into the windshield. She tried to shoot Lane. She tries to shoot Lane, but she's also firing at Ethan. And then... There's a very weird thing where Ethan says to like all the other agents, he's like, out of the car. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so they don't actually know it's Ilsa for sure yet. Right, she's got a motorcycle helmet yeah, on. Yeah, and so we're allowed to, like, like the first time we saw it anyway. So I was like, oh, yeah. that's definitely Ilsa, but yeah, you sure. don't know for sure. So then another chase scene ensues. Really great, really great car chase here. And you know what? I actually, the little note that I made to myself was, I wonder how, um, what was the, Sean Harris? I think that's the actor who plays uh, Solomon Lane. Yeah. I wonder how he handled Tom Cruise's stunt driving versus <laughs> Benji. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing is to look for the reaction shots on the passengers anytime Tom yes. Cruise is driving a car because he he does have a few like. <laughs> well, it's because the the last like chase scene that we saw like that is with Benji and Benji's hilarious during that entire ride. He's screaming, he's yelling, and Solomon Lane the whole time is just very stiff. Yeah. And the chase scene has a very different feel to it too. It's intense it's not playful it's no. stressful no because like he doesn't want to 
her. Well, in theory, he doesn't want to hurt the person who's chasing him, except he then gets headed off by Ilsa and hits her with a car. Okay, so but the, <laughs> this is a throwback to the last movie, right? Where in um, Rogue Nation, Ilsa knows that Ethan isn't going to hurt her. So the way that she yeah. stops him during the chasing is she gets off oh, the bike right. and she stands there. Oh, right. And so this time, she's recreating that. And she's kind like, of going... And Ethan, like... He thinks about it. He hits her with the car. And then Solomon Lane has a great... Like, Solomon Lane calls him out on it. He's like, that was Ilsa. Very interesting. <laughs> and Ethan goes, shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, meets up with their team again. Yeah. Um, they, uh, Lane's got a tracker in his neck, which we should point out. Um, they extract it and they send it away in a drone. And, um, while this is happening, Solomon Lane, uh, he has his little montage. Little villain monologue, yeah. Where, yeah, his mon- uh, monologue where he says the title of the movie. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, your mission, should you choose to accept it? Did you ever choose not to? Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> It's good. And it's he talks good about monologue. Ethan's pathetic morality, um, and he basically says that you should have killed me because, like, the end you always feared is coming. The fallout of all your good intentions. Nice, nice. So Ethan then goes to meet back up with the White Widow. Yeah, and Who, she's like jealous that Ilsa is a. Who's thing. the other woman? <laughs> and she's like, okay, the price now went up. You have to deliver Solomon Lane, and you have to bring me the head of Ilsa Faust. <laughs> and Ilsa's, of course, watching all this. Yeah. We don't really know. And, um, well, and I bet like, the White Widow knows. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Because then she, like, aggressively kisses him. So I don't know what's going on It's like an attack kiss. Or what? And, well, it's just Ethan's reaction to it is completely stiff. And um, in this one case, I think it's that is exactly the reaction... One should have sure in that scenario. I, I was slightly confused by this whole thing, but that's okay. So then he meets up with Ilsa Faust in like an orchard. All the Paris cinematography is pretty. Beautiful. Can we just take a moment here to appreciate how beautifully shot this entire yeah. movie is? Oh, it's, like it's everything excellent. about this movie, I think, is so fantastic. But just really compelling visuals the whole way through. Oh yeah. And this scene especially is just beautifully set up. So they're essentially in an old. <laughs> It's not for size. I was going to make the Versailles joke again. <laughs> Beating like that a, it's dead like a horse. garden, but yeah. like a tree garden. And Ethan has this kind of like, hey, sorry, sorry I hit he you says, with the car. He says, are you okay? Yeah. And she was like, I know you have your reasons. So they're fine. They're cool. And he's upset with her. He's like, you were out. You were free. Why are you back here? I thought you were going to be okay. And so what she reveals is that MI6 is not cool with Solomon Lane going on this international tour because, if you recall from last movie, um, uh, the syndicate was actually set up by the British. So yeah. they're like, we want to kill him before he can reveal that to the world. And yeah, so the, or reveal just too much about how MI6 works. Right. Yeah. And so the price of Ilsa's freedom now is she's got to take out Solomon Lane. She's basically got to prove her loyalty by taking yeah. him out. Yeah, because she was with him for two years. So she's potentially as guilty as he is. Yeah, um, and so um, they end that conversation by Ilsa saying, you know, I'm going to get to Lane. Just Please don't make me go through you. And then it immediately cuts to a like a very, <laughs> Penny the Podcat making her appearance. Um, it immediately cuts to a artsy scene and you figure out pretty fast it's a dream because it's essentially Julia and Lane just kind of looking at Ethan. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, the movie just wants you to know, hey, remember Julia? Remember how we reminded you at the beginning? Don't forget about Julia. <laughs> that's that's basically what that scene yeah. is. It's good. So like uh, it. Ethan wakes up, Lane is looking at him, and they uh, get they, to their are next- Are they in London now? Or, now they're in yeah. London, and they meet Mr. Secretary. Yes. Can I quickly ask, did we get a title card during this scene? No. We didn't. When I was taking my notes, I, I got confused. When I was reviewing my notes, I got confused about this. I was like, wait, 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 wait. How do they yeah. add? And so, yeah, they just go. I What we do get is I think we get a shot of the big Ferris wheel in London. Yeah, where it's like, you know what this yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, I guess, I don't know. They took the channel or something. And they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they're in London and they meet up with Mr. Secretary, who is very disappointed. And, and <laughs> they lay, Baldwin is about to cut them short, but they lay out a whole plan where there there are two great jokes here because for starters the movie calls out the trouble with masks because they're like what's the plan baldwin's like what's the plan and ethan goes we're gonna dress benji up as solomon lane give him to white widow get the plutonium and then get benji out and benji's like me why does it have to be me and and ethan goes Benji, come on. And then <laughs> Luther gestures at himself with his hand and then gestures at Benji, just saying, like, you got the body, man. I Which don't. one of us can play Lane? <laughs> and then Ethan's like, or uh, Benji's like, Ilsa's going to kill me. And Ethan's like, I'm not going to let that happen. And Benji goes, how? And he goes, I'm working on it. <laughs> so did you read about how um, Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill made fun of Simon Pegg? And no. His, body for the whole movie no so so for start so henry cavill if you've watched justice league or man of steel or batman v superman is in uh i i don't even know if you can call it spectacular shape like i've seen all of those things and in fact whatever i was so impressed by all of them i followed his instagram (laughs) but he is very specifically in like i look good in pictures shape that's the purpose of his bodybuilding is to look good in pictures whereas you know, you've commented on Tom Cruise's torso. Tom Cruise is in shape to do stunts. Yes. And that's why he looks different. And so apparently Cavill found it really hard training for this movie because it was a different kind of training. It was training to do stunts and whatever. And so... You can just picture them both in a gym somewhere and Tom Cruise laughing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love the idea of Tom Cruise being like, oh, you bulked? Good for you. I can drink a protein shake too. I'm going to show you what real... <laughs> strength looks like and from uncle over here <laughs> little boy from uncle but uh, simon Pegg also got into terrific shape for this movie because he has a lot of fighting to do later on mm-hmm. but he, he didn't have to be in quite the same shape but like i gather he he actually got abs for this and mentioned this to the other two <laughs> that is such i don't know him, simon Pegg. But I can so see him doing that, like just like wandering up to the coffee table and just being like, "So, uh, but I, I got they apparently too thought now, this was guys. so funny. They started calling him Six Pack Peggles." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay, like, that we need to make a bucket button out of Six Pack Peggles. Yes, <laughs> I was just like, "That's kind of mean." I hope it. Like, I assume it was in good spirits, but like, if I think he could take it, sure. Because he would only mention it to those two going, Expecting like, a joke. come on. See, in my head, I'm like, he worked really hard. And he, <laughs> he deserves to be applauded for his He actually his looks great work. in the scene. He's rocking a bow tie. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a very nerd chic. Yeah, he does look very good in this movie. 
So anyway, uh, I should see if he has an Instagram. <laughs> I don't want him to feel left out. <laughs> Baldwin's like, okay, nice plan, but not happening. Uh, I'm shutting this down because Erica Sloan has given me information, Ethan, that you are John Lark. And Ethan's like, this is movie number six. Come How many on, times guys. are you going to accuse me of being the rogue agent when I'm not? And, and, and Baldwin has a line where he's like, you have a long and incriminating history of rogue behavior. And I was like, what are you talking about? He has a long history of being accused of rogue behavior only to be the good guy. Yes. How is anybody still making this plan work? But anyway, Ethan's I response. Scene. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Ethan's response is now his new favorite response. Anytime he gets into a uh, position he can't get out of, he tranks Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say, um, I, when I first saw that scene, I read it as Alec Baldwin as a secretary going, you know what? I believe in you, man. You've just, you've boxed me into a corner here yeah. and now you got to help me climb out of it. That's true. Cause he actually does have a great line where he's like, you know, usually Ethan, when people say you're your own worst enemy, it's a yeah. figure of speech. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and there was another great line in here too, where, um, he's yelling at Ethan for losing the, the two things you of, lost the of, the plutonium, of the plutonium and Benji jumps in and he's like, respectfully, sir, we all lost them. And then Luther is like, like, you weren't there. Yeah. I love them being buddies. I know they're a family. Okay. So, uh, secretary's, uh, tranked and Benji is now Walker. No, Benji no, is no, no, Lane. No, 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 no. Well, right. Except we don't know that yet. Because well, no, we watch him getting the mask put on. We watch him sitting back to back with Lane. But oh, we, right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. Okay, sorry. Yes, we need to see this movie like twelve I know, more times. I know. This, <laughs> this is the one new, I'm guys. least prepared for. <laughs> sorry. Um, Penny, yeah, Penny, Penny is like, come on, Billy, do your work. <laughs> this is unprofessional. Should have seen it eight more times in theaters before we recorded. Penny, this. the podcast is our producer. Yes. So, <laughs> so yes, they start setting up the plan that Ethan has described, and then. They're like, Walker, you're going to wait with the real Solomon Lane while we take. (laughs) Penny, shut up. Penny, we're at the climax of the movie. (laughs) Okay. So uh, while we take the real uh, Lane and then Luther, Ethan, and the real Lane leave. Yes. And then what does our good friend Walker do? Basically, Walker, in a throwback to basically film one and several other films, just like... Gives away the entire plot. He's just like, I'm the bad guy. And when uh, Benji as He Lane, says, I'm John Lark and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, he like quotes the manifesto to him and he's like, when I wrote those words. So it's very obvious that. He gives us the first F-bomb in the series. Yes. Where he says to Lane, why do you have to make things so fucking complicated? And I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm scared now. Okay. <laughs> and then. And then as he's yelling well, and walks away, he sees in a corner. Well, no, no, wait, because. Because. Lane goes, well, Ethan's going to stop you. And Walker turns around and he goes, IMF is nothing but grown men wearing the Halloween line. And then and he pauses. Sees a camera. And then this is my favorite mask special effect rip in this series. It's really well done. It looks very, very convincing. Yes. He walks up and, and, and Walker is a little bit, he like grabs the middle of this mask and pulls it off and, it's, it's Benji. Benji. Second time he got to wear a mask. It's so good. And then uh, director Hunley here gets a little bit of an action moment. Yeah. He uh, basically has a gun to, uh, well, it's, I kept saying Cavill and then I went Walker. No, he's Lark, Lark. now. <laughs> Let's call him Cavill. Yeah. And uh, he says, 
uh, I've ruined your day, haven't I? And it's nice. Cavill disarms him and tries to shoot him, but the gun has no bullets. And Baldwin's like, oh, and you were doing so well until now. And it's great because then we have this lovely moment where the secretary becomes one of the boys. And he's like, how did I do, guys? And they're like, you are great. Welcome to the team. So like the tranking was on purpose. Like this was all a setup in the end because clearly Ethan knew or at least suspected. Except it was all really a setup by Erica Sloan because she yes. has what I also think is maybe the right approach where she's like, I don't I'm trust shutting it all down. Like you're this all coming all back wrong. here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a prelude to my favorite line in the movie because okay. it is so ridiculous and over the top where it basically Angela says, I don't appreciate being used Walker. And then Luther says, oops, bad, bad boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> That is a great line. It's a really great line. <laughs> so, like, on the one hand, I was like, ew. But on the other hand, I was like, nope, brilliant, best line yep, ever. Nope, perfect. <laughs> so the CIA guys come in, and this is actually where I do have a question for you. Yeah. Um, because it turns out it's not the CIA. They're actually um, well, Walker's guys, some, bad guys' guys. I think bad some of guys. them are legit CIA, and some of them are Walker's guys. Right. Yes, that's that's probably true. So how did, I guess just Walker had a contingency plan for always, right? Like he was always yeah, going to be flanked by these CIA guys. I guess guys. the apostles still have turncoats within the yeah. CIA. I think this helps explain some of our stuff from last movie and even from Ghost Protocol. The idea that there have been turncoats within the U.S. intelligence service the whole time. Yeah. I don't know how he got so lucky as to have these guys assigned to the hit team that was going to take him down. But yeah. Anyway, there you are. So essentially, big old gun battle. Yeah, and um, a really tragic scene where Alec, Mister Secretary, gets stabbed by yep, Mister Mustache. He gets and taken out. It's well, like more stuff happens. Ilsa actually enters the. Ilsa fray. shows up. No one sees her really. Oh, she's just kind of in the background, like. But uh, Benji's yelling. People. Yeah, he's like, "Man down, man down!" And Luther and Ethan just immediately run That's to the secretary. Yeah. yeah, and this it's was the only just, secretary to make it through two movies. I know. Well, into two movies, and Ethan is just like, "Sir," and you can tell he's he's taking like he's blaming himself for this. He's yeah. about to apologize and say, "I'm so sorry." And Luther's in the background, like Walker's getting away, Ethan. You gotta go and. The secretary just puts his hand on Ethan's shoulder. I think it's actually, is it his heart? I think so. Is that so. where he puts his hand? And then oh. he just says, <laughs> well, I can't top that. That's what he says. I don't even know if that's going to register on the mic. but <laughs> Whispered, yes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and just then does a delicate. Fades <sighs> away. Yeah. Dies. And then so. as Ethan starts running out, this is why I want to mention Ilsa. He doesn't even notice the guy that's about to shoot him. Ilsa, Ilsa takes, him, takes him out. Yeah. And so now we've got one of my favorite chase scenes of all time. So yeah, during the fight, Luther managed to, to tag Walker with a tracking device. Mm-hmm. And as Ethan goes to chase Walker, Luther tags Ethan with a tracking device. Yes, he's like, go get him. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is where we get, I think this is the Mission Impossible that, I love the most where it's high action, it's camaraderie, it's also funny. It's very funny. And so um, Benji, Luther, and Ilsa are all in a van trying to run along with. <laughs> it's very funny that Ilsa hops into the van <laughs> yeah. and they're just like, okay. oh, okay, you're, you're, you're here, here now. now. <laughs> That's fine. Um, and Ethan, in the first mistake he makes is in chasing Walker, he runs into the middle of what I can only like assume a like something? a royal funeral <laughs> right, yeah. because there's people with like military, yeah. they're in like a giant abbey. I don't know what church they're in, but it's huge. 
And um, the only way to get away is for Ethan to run up onto a roof. Yeah. And Benji has this funny moment. So the staircase that uh, Ethan has taken is spiral. And Benji's like, why is he running in circles? <laughs> so now he's on a roof chasing Walker. Yeah. And Benji's directing him and telling him where to go. And Benji assumes that Ethan is on street level. Yeah. But Ethan is actually on a roof. So they have these funny, like, he's like, turn left, turn left now. And Ethan's like, I'm trying. And I don't know what else there is to really say. Except, oh, it's like, very you funny. Just he goes through an office. Scene. He goes through an office uh, building and then, like, Benji has him, like, essentially supposed to jump down three stories. And yeah, <laughs> all the people in the office see Ethan. Have. I mean, the only thing to really talk about is that this is the scene where Ethan breaks his ankle. Yes. And it's pretty great because the actual take where he breaks his ankle is in the movie. Yes, and they shouted about that a lot in their publicity leading up yeah. to the film. So if you haven't already seen it, it's when Tom Cruise basic and I'm calling him Tom Cruise because Oh, we are now was, watching Tom Cruise. This is yeah. Tom Cruise. As he leaps from one building to the next, um, he was supposed to land on the side of the building. However, his foot was not supposed to break in half yep. <laughs> as he made the landing. However, doesn't even blink. Anyone else would have just been like, nope, that's ow. He would have screamed, right? He just lands, pulls himself up, and runs. Yeah. And that's the shot that's yeah, in the it's movie. Amazing. It's amazing. And in the movie, we now get an amazing shot of Ethan doing the amazing Tom Cruise run. No, Tom Cruise doing the amazing this Tom is Cruise run. The most Tom Cruise running in any on Tom the top Cruise of movie, a bridge right? like, across London. It's I just, think this is more than even Mission Impossible Three. There's there's a lot of running here, and it just it looks so amazing and impressive. Yeah. And if you take like once you're out of the like, oh my god, this is fantastic! I'm so entertained. And you take a step back and you go, how did they get permission to film this scene? Like it's daylight. It's that that's the Tate right there. This is a Fantastic. very busy section of downtown. Yeah. It's just, I love it's this movie. So good. I love these movies. Yeah. So he catches up to Walker. Who is going up the elevator shaft in the tower. Yeah, it's of, like a, uh, a, an industrial elevator. Museum, yeah. Uh, Ethan claws he, onto the bottom of yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a cage. And Walker trains his gun on him. And in any other movie, like if yeah. this is real life, you just shoot Ethan. Just shoot, just the guy. shoot him. But he doesn't. Even if you're not going to kill him, like, peck him in the shoulder. He's done. <laughs> right? Like, he'll he's not, fall down. He's not holding. Yeah. Yeah. And Ethan's like, oh, you can't do it, can you? And Walker says, no, he has plans for yeah, you. Yeah, I can't. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What's his justification for keeping Ethan alive? Is it that they need Ethan to take the fall as John Lark? Yeah. So what he says to him is, you have to turn yourself in, admit that you're Lark, right, and then right, you're going right. to watch um, the old world implode from your dark little cell. So that is... Solomon Lane's worst nightmare scenario come true for Ethan. And by gosh, is he going to make sure it happens? And then nice little touch here. Ethan is clinging onto this cage right beneath Walker's feet. And then Walker just bends down and puts a, a picture right on the cage. And it's, it's a picture of Julia. Yeah. And he's like, that's how you're, that's how we know you're going to do this because I'm her guardian angel, Ethan. You don't do it. We're going to kill her. Yeah. So, so Lark gets away with Lane. Ethan stands on top of the Tate Museum looking very sad. They're retreated to a beautiful shot of London. 
And now um, I think the next scene is basically we them. Get a, we get a nice little like we're prepping for like last ride of the cavalry here yes. where basically everybody's going to sit down and, and plan out. So, so, so Luther and Benji give us the detail on the bombs, which is basically they have two nukes. It's very frustrating because if you cut the wire on one nuke, the other nuke detonates. And we'll learn later there is a way to do them both at the same time, but they have to be within a second of each other and you have to have a key and yada, it's yada, very yada. complicated. We get a couple of nice exchanges here. I actually really like what happens between Luther and Ilsa. Me too. I so, want to have, yeah, I, we definitely need to talk about that. Yeah. So Ethan's off prepping and, and Ilsa basically is like, it's again, you know, it, it's like when you're younger and you're, you're interested in someone, you go to talk to their friends to try and get the inside scoop. Ilsa's like, <laughs> so what's the deal with that guy? And Luther's like, well, Benji, can you leave us? not quite what happens. Well, right. Okay. But <laughs> it's kind of. Luther, Luther asks Ilsa to take a seat. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, Benji, can you leave us? Yeah. <laughs> Um, in all he, the years I've known Ethan, he's only been serious about two women. Right. And he tells us what we've been wanting to know for like two movies now, which is what happened with Julia. Mm-hmm. And basically he says, um, Julia got captured once. And I'm a little unclear because it should be twice, right? Because there's Mission Impossible 3 and then there's what else, whatever happened with the Serbians that. I think this is what happens after that, like the interlude between Mission Impossible 3 and Ghost Protocol. Right. So he's, he's talking about the incident with the. Yeah, anyway, so he's like, and he's like, don't worry, don't worry. Ethan got her back, but then there was a problem because after that, um, they were trying to live a normal life, and anytime something bad would happen in the world, they would both feel terrible knowing that Ethan was protecting Julia instead of saving the world, and so it didn't work out, and they broke up. Yeah, and they knew that the longer they stayed together, uh, the sooner something truly terrible would happen. Now. Before we get on to this next point, you know that I am a big fan of Superman comics, movies. The biggest, TV yes. Show. Yeah. So this is a big theme that comes up in Superman a lot, is that Superman is um, basically Superman, if he tries, will always win. That's kind of the defining thing of the character. And people often complain that that makes the character boring because he's so powerful that he always wins. But so the really great Superman stories explore these themes of like, okay, what if you could always win, but you can see where I'm going with this. No, I'm but, so excited because I actually made a note. I will show you. It's at the end here. I'm like, Superman slash Ethan, ask Billy about this. Okay, okay. well, here we go. <laughs> so the really great Superman stories explore this dynamic of like, okay, you're a, you're a person who can always save everyone, but what does that mean for the rest of your life? So how can you have a relationship with Lois Lane if every date you go on with Lois Lane people are going to die somewhere because you weren't there to save them. And that's basically what Luther is describing. Henry Cavill is best known for playing Superman <laughs> <laughs> in movies that were attacked by fans of the comics for not being true to the Superman mythos. Now mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to give my opinion. However, watching this this time, I was like, did, did Tom Cruise just steal Henry Cavill's Superman? Thought? Was he just like... <laughs> Look here, motherfucker, I'm going to put you in a movie where I'm going to do Superman better than you. So I didn't think of it that way because I hadn't heard your conspiracy theory yet, but I did come (laughs) to essentially the same conclusion where I was like, Ethan Hunt is the real life Superman. Right. He always will win. It's never a question. If you put him into it, he'll win. The question is when he has to make choices between who will he use his powers to save, he gets conflict. And I think what makes... Ethan Hunt as a real life Superman also so compelling is you see it, especially in this movie where we know who Ethan is now. Yes. Like he is yes. the 
person who is always going to try and do the right thing. But it's not easy for him. He isn't a superhero. He is a real life human being. It takes a who toll can on do, his body. It takes a toll on his personal life. And he's conflicted about a lot of things. And he's scared a lot of the time too. And so it just makes his superhuman feats that much more impressive because we know he's actually a very real broken person as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is all to say, I think you're exactly right. He <laughs> said, fuck you, Henry Cavill. I'm the real Superman. But so basically what Luther says to Ilsa is he's like, listen. My buddy Ethan has a problem where if someone he loves is in danger, he will sacrifice the lives of millions to get that one person out. I can tell you right now, he likes you a lot. Please don't get in the way of him stopping this nuclear bomb. And she's like, yeah, that's not really my plan for this movie. Yeah, because then uh, Ethan walks into the room and he's like, hi, guys. He's like, we weren't saying anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, one other nice little detail. Luther says that he was the one who trained Julia how to like Yeah, taught her to be, be a ghost. ghost. Yeah. kind of cool. That's kind of yeah. nice. I like... I like imagining them training in Spycraft. Well, it comes up a little bit later in the <laughs> yes, movie where they work does. together. Um, but essentially, Ethan comes in and Ilsa immediately says, after hearing like this heartfelt plea from Luther, <laughs> disregards it entirely and says, I'm coming with you. And let me tell you, right at this moment, we have a team working together that is Ethan, Luther, Benji, and Ilsa. And this is my team. This is like, honestly, I'd actually be quite happy if, if, um, Brant was here too. I, I think, but like seeing these four people getting ready to ride on their mission, I was so jazzed. I was like, I love the dynamics of these four people. It, it, it just maybe bummed out. I was like, I wish there was more of this team in this movie doing this thing. I know because it is such a good scene. So we do actually get a title card. We're in Cashmere, Cashmere. now, which a uh, gentle reminder for everyone. Uh, that's where the smallpox if bad outbreak. stuff happens here. You kill one third of the world. Yes, because it's like connected to a natural water resource, which is bordered by India, Pakistan, China. Um, but they've they've decided they're going to set the nukes in a very very specific medical camp in Kashmir, and they can't figure out why. They're like, they're like why? Why, why the camp? Probably yeah. better spots. Yeah. So um, Benji has now figured out how to safely defuse the bomb, um, which is essentially they've got to let the countdown start, and then they have to. You have to let the countdown start. You have to pull the key from the detonator, and then you have to clip wires on both bombs at essentially the exact same time. Yes. And um, so they get to the camp. Well, no, before that happens, um, Lane essentially like arms both bombs and hands the detonator to Walker slash Lark. And he's like, I'm uh, Lane says, I'm staying here with the bomb. I'm done with this franchise. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You are the future. (laughs) Bye. Uh, So IMF, our perfect IMF team pulls up at the camp and they get out and they get ready to start searching. And I got to say, I like this scene. I thought it was so... This I is, think this is when I punched you maybe the hardest. This is a good scene. When we were scene. watching this movie. Um, so they're getting signals everywhere. And so um, they all, they're all about to split up. But before they can do, we hear someone call Ethan. And then Ethan turns around and says, Julia? And it's Julia. So the reason that Lane has selected this location is because it is Julia Julia's workplace I guess on the theory that they're hoping Ethan will decide to call off the mission and just get Julia out of there maybe or something yeah or even just to torture Ethan that much more I think that was probably more realistic just a little like twist of the knife and before Ethan could even say anything Julia's new husband shows up (laughs) who played by Wes Bentley and 
I'm so sorry, but I was immediately like, oh, this is a bad guy because Wes Bentley plays <laughs> the game maker. I know. I know. In the first Hunger I, Games. I like Wes Bentley a lot. I thought this was slightly d- distracting casting because it you was. expect him to have a bigger role. And you're right, he's carrying some uh, intertextual baggage. But it totally is. Either way, I. I there, there's a nice little because now, you know, Ethan understands that Julia has a cover with her husband, yes. which is interesting that Julia has now like been infected with the Ethan disease if I'm going to leave a, lead a double life from the person I am married to. But anyway, it's, it's nice that like, even though the world is about to end, he takes the time to not blow Julia's cover. Yeah. Cause she's like, Ethan's on vacation. And he goes, no, no I'm, I'm working. working. And, and in you that see moment, it register on her face. Julia is. Yeah. Well, before that conversation ends where uh, he's basically giving the cover story um, and uh, Rob, the husband, is going on and on about how fulfilled they are. Which, first of all, if you just meet someone for the first time. I am so happy. Life is great. How are you? You're like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? But anyways, um, Ethan, class act that he is, looks at Julia and very genuinely says, I'm happy for you. And then we get an immediate cut to Ilsa. Well, and he also hugs her and he says, I am so sorry. Yeah. And it's it's heartbreaking. And then, yes, you cut yeah. to. Well, it, it's just Ilsa, I think, who her heart is breaking on yeah. behalf of Ethan, whose heart is breaking. Yeah. So, anyway, it's a nice, and then sad I like, moment. You watch everybody run off. Mm-hmm. You watch them run away, and it's like them heading into battle. It's I, There was something just cool. I don't know. It was very moving to see him, like, have to run off. Yes. It's, it's it, I don't know. They have a mission. This movie, I think, has the best build of any in the series where each scene is more exciting than what came before. You, you know, we've said that like in previous movies, you know, the most exciting thing happens in the middle or it might even be the first scene. This one, like truly each set piece ends up being more exciting than the last and heading into this last stretch. I'm just, I'm amped. Well, and it's because of the character relationships at this point, because it's not just them doing cool, like spy stuff. Like the stunts, there's a cool stunt to come, which is amazing, but it almost, is that much more heightened because we've had this character moment right beforehand where you know that Ethan is now, like, it is his nightmare come true where he has ruined this person's life and Lane is just playing him like a fiddle and you, without that extra emotional layer, you just, it, you don't care as much. And and also, as I think Benji has said, they're on a suicide mission. Like, in, in a lot of the previous movies. Ilsa says it. Ilsa says it, okay. Yeah. In, a, in a lot of the previous movies, like, you know, in, in Ghost Protocol, if they fail to stop the nuke, the nuke blows up San Francisco, but they're in India, right? Yeah. Whereas they are right beside the nuke. So if this goes wrong, all our friends. Yes. <laughs> are going to be vaporized. At one point, they talk about evacuating the camp, and they're like... To where? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We can't go anywhere. So um, there's no time to evacuate the people. Um, Walker has taken off. There's two helicopters, conveniently. Blow up the other helicopter. As they're walking towards the helicopter, Ethan figures out that Walker has the detonator. With the key he needs, yeah. Yes. And so (laughs) this is also one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And again, it's just because you know these characters so well. Ethan is like, I'm going to get the detonator. And Elsa goes, how? "How?" He's in a helicopter. And Ethan's like, I'll figure it out. I'm Ethan. Have you not been following the conversation this whole movie has been having about me? Okay, so this is a fundamental difference between you and I. You're coming at Ethan as like, ah, he'll figure it out. And I'm going, no, Ethan is panicked. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just know that I have to, so I will. So he runs after the helicopter and um, Ilsa says, what the hell is he doing? And Benji says, I find it best not to look. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And this, 
I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but this would be a high-ranking stunt for me, which is um, Ethan climbs onto, like, the, the other helicopter that doesn't have Lark in it is, is taking off. And They've it, got a payload it's underneath It's towing it. this, like, pile of bricks or something. It's like a silver ball. Yeah. It's like a wrecking ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Ethan just jumps onto the ball and starts rope climbing up towards the helicopter. And you know oh my. they actually did it's, this for real. It's, like, you know they did. Yeah. This, this, was, this was something. So this is a- I'm like, running out of words as we're doing. We've gone through six of these movies. I'm like, how do I keep describing these stunts? I can just think about the very first time I was in a gym class where like they make you climb a rope. I'm, I probably couldn't have been more than 10. I was like, no, I can't. I probably sat down and cried. And then Ethan, no, Tom Cruise is climbing a rope that is attached to a helicopter that is flying in the middle of nowhere being filmed. Like it's just a, how is this man not dead yet? I don't know, but this is just amazing. Anyways, so, um, no, actually, before we finish this scene, Ethan, um, once he makes it to the top of the rope, he sort of swings his leg around. And this was, I thought, a bit of acting because he falls. He yeah. doesn't quite get down. Yeah. And I was like, Psh, no, Tom Cruise Tom never would have fell. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> so he climbs back up again. He does get in the plane. And now he is flying the helicopter. He's chasing Joan Lark. And he's like, He's gotten this far, and now he is kind of realizing what the other characters were saying, where he's like, wait, it's in the other helicopter. How do I? <laughs> and this is actually, again, one of my favorite Ethan moments, because he's panicked. He doesn't have a plan yet. He's going, okay, okay, I can't let them down. Uh, what do I got? Well, okay, that's speed. That's the that's yellow payload. I got to get rid of the payload. And then he like has a moment where he's like, I know what payload. to do. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I kind of wish, like, there's other stuff going on that we'll get to. I kind of wish the helicopter chase ended with him successfully dropping on the payload on the other one because I just want to see that. That's really cool. I, I, I don't know. I think it's great. And he also, he calls Walker a prick. Like he's so annoyed at this point. I'm like, I think this is Tom Cruise actually just being like, I hate this fucking guy. He took man from uncle. <laughs> okay, so that scene where he does call him a prick has one of my favorite Henry Cavill moments where he just like shrugs. He sees, so he sees... Ethan, Ethan calls him a prick. He shrugs and then he reaches back, grabs like an Uzi yep. <laughs> and then just starts firing on Ethan. Okay. But so in the meantime, Luther has tracked down one of the nukes. Yes. Um, and he's disarming it. And who comes to help him? Julia. And they have a nice, they have a nice exchange. I, yeah. I, like this. I think Michelle Monaghan deserves so much better, but this is a, this is fun. They have a nice back and forth where she's like, eh, still, <laughs> Yeah. Still getting up to these old shenanigans, eh? Yeah, and she's like, I'm not leaving, I'm helping. And Ilsa's like, ooh, I like her. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but. <laughs> oh, this is the other. Okay, so not only does, sorry, we're jumping all over the place. <laughs> well, there's a lot there's going on. There's just a lot going on. Not only does Ethan call Walker a prick, when he tries to drop the payload, he says, hold this for me, will ya? <laughs> Which very much yes. made me think of um, Mission Accomplished in, yes. in, in um, uh, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. he also doesn't successfully hit him with the payload. Yeah. Okay, so. Ethan's in the helicopter chase. Luther's defusing a bomb. And then Benji and Ilsa, a team up I will never not love. It was just so good. So they're in this like medical tent trying to figure out if the bomb is hidden amongst all this x-ray equipment. And Ilsa has a moment where she's like, if we're looking here, it's because Lane wants us to, which means we're in the wrong place. I'm going yeah. to the village. 
And Benji's like, well, I'm going to stay here and keep looking. And he has a great moment where um, he's in a rush now and he tries to- All these to, boxes are locked. Yeah. And he takes his gun out and he's about to shoot the lock off. And then he goes, oh, nuclear bomb. <laughs> and then just like hits it with a fire extinguisher instead. Yeah. I love Benji. It's great. But anyway, Ilsa does find the other uh, nuclear bomb. It's hanging out with Solomon Lane. In a hut. In a hut. Yeah. And um, as she calls Benji to come meet her, <laughs> Lane's hand like shoots through a wall and like grabs yeah. the back of her head. And then we cut back to helicopter chasing, which yep. is like Walker basically realizing that this crazy son of a bitch is trying to ram us. Which he then does. Yeah. <laughs> and the helicopter photography is amazing. If you saw this in IMAX, it's, I mean, much like the Halo jump, but this, this, you, you it, this looks very real whereas i said like they haven't done a whole lot to this shot you can tell like oh shit like they filmed two helicopters it's i remember turning to you in the theater and just squealing like they're chasing helicopters like just something like that just like inarticulate but so they crash the two (laughs) helicopters and and now they're like fighting on a well so interestingly in the crash ethan gets out completely unscathed beautiful tom cruise face his hair is fine his clothes are fine (laughs) half of Cavill's face is burnt off. Tom Cruise really wanted that role. We're going to make him look ugly. I can just imagine him talking to the makeup artist. No, uglier. (laughs) Uh, And so they proceed to have this beautifully shot fight on the top of a mountain. And this is actually the scene that really made me think about the fight between Ethan and Sean Ambrose from MI2. They are are very each other. There's a lot of emotion here. Yeah. Well, and it sort of, again, adds extra credence to your theory where the Ambrose and Ethan fight is so compelling because they're basically two sides of the same coin. And um, here we've got, they're not the same by any means, but... Like, who is more powerful? Like, the, the, that's yeah. what the fight is, right? Like, yeah. who's the better spy? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think we know the, uh, what the answer to that is. Yep. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Benji gets hung by uh, Lane. Solomon Lane. Yeah, and Ilsa does this really cool move where she basically breaks herself out of a chair by throwing yeah. it backwards and then, like, does a sidekick to push a box under, <laughs> under Benji's feet. Yeah, yeah, so he can, like, tiptoe on it while he's slowly... Trying not to choke to death, yep. dear sweet Benji, and um, and they kill Lane, right? He gets yeah. So what happens is it's like this. It's interesting because we keep like in the last episode we talked about how Ilsa is Ethan's equal, yeah, and in this particular moment she's presented with another similar choice. So um, Benji somehow loses the box that he's been standing on, and he's trying to cut himself free oh, with a bottle, right? Yeah, it's... that Ilsa had handed to him, but he's not doing it fast yeah, he's enough, passing out. and so he's passing out as Ilsa is basically choking Lane to death. And so now she has a choice to make, right? Like Benji's just hanging there dying, but Lane is dying in front of her too. And she's like, okay, I could let Lane go and save Benji or do I just kill Lane and then hope Benji's okay? Mm -hmm. And I think she does the math in her head. I really don't think she's that callous, but she does choose, no, the priority is killing Lane. Then I'll get Benji. And that's what she does. And Benji's fine. Yeah. Uh, And they find the other bomb. And so now- Luther and Benji and Ilsa are ready to cut the two wires, but they can't do it until they have, they know that Ethan has the key, but yeah. Ethan has gone out of radio range at yes. this point, which is nice. Cause they're like, do we just wait till second one is left on the clock? There's a great back and forth between Benji, Ilsa and Luther where they're like, how much time and do Luther we give? Says, We're going to do it at two. <laughs> 
And then Benji's like, no, cut it at one. And Luther's like, you really want to cut it that close? It's the second one. It's the second we might not get back. (laughs) And what's so great about that is that as the clock counts down to one. Oh, wait, before we even get there, we've missed how Henry exits this film franchise. (laughs) Okay, so there is a history in this series of bad guys getting murdered pretty brutally. So Mission Impossible 1 Phelps gets crushed by an exploding helicopter that then crashes into a train. Yes. And it's it's pretty, yeah. Mission Impossible 3, gets Owen Davian rammed <laughs> by an 18-wheeler. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible 4, guy jumps to his death. We see his broken, shattered body. Yeah. Um, and he's really upset by that. <laughs> but this outro is... Something else. There's something a little vicious to it. So <laughs> you've so, completely brought me around to your theory, by the way. <laughs> so the helicopter is dangling over the edge of the cliff, and it's 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 being stopped only by a heavy duty cable with a hook, and a the hook is latched hook, yeah. in to the the top of the the cliff. Ethan and Walker are hanging on Onto to the, the rock wire. face and are fighting each other. Yes. The claw slips off. The well, helicopter off plummets. Because Ethan pulls it. Pulls it. Okay. So Ethan's got the key now from Walker, and he is just like he realizes that time is running out, and he makes a decision to pull the wire down. Yeah. And the hook. Helicopter just, plummets. The hook goes falling after it. <laughs> right into Henry Cavill's face. Right into face. his face. Is this the most brutal bad guy takeout? And then it's just, it's like. Salt and wound, the whole thing explodes at the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah, like- yeah, yeah. If he wasn't dead before this, let <laughs> me make clear. Dead now. This is no Solomon Lane. Yeah. He's not coming back. <laughs> um, and then it's very nice because we don't we can't see whether or not Ethan has the key. He's reaching for it as it's going five. Yeah. Four. Three, and that's when we get the two, conversation between Luther and Benji and Ilsa, and they're like, okay, one, one cut it now. Zero. And then it cuts to white. I okay, so pause. It cuts to white. And we're in the movie theater the very first time we saw this together. And I just like in that split second, I went, well, wait, in this movie, Ethan is having a hard time and he doesn't always win. And even though like he didn't win uh, at the beginning and, my and that was a has joke. has been held for about two straight minutes here. And then the white starts to fade and all you see is the back of Ethan looking at the white. And I was like, oh my God, it went off. No, this series, it went dark. What? And then it cuts to the front of Ethan. He's got the key in his mouth. He spits it out. He's holding the detonator. And you're like, he did it. Of course he did it. Yep. And then, like, just the music is so great. And yep. go, Ethan. So Ethan gets picked up by, um, well, actually, Erica Sloan. Yeah. Um, and then he wakes up back in the medical camp. <laughs> First person he sees is Wes Bentley, who's given him real shade <laughs> because presumably he's found out the truth now. And he, he says something to the effect of like, hope you're feeling better, Doc. Doc. Yeah. <laughs> Your friends arrived with half the Indian army. And then Ethan gets to reunite and resolve with Julia. So yes. let me tell you, first time I saw this scene, I was so relieved that they were finally dealing with this dangling thread after three movies that I was just happy on the rewatch. I was pretty bummed out by this scene. What did you feel? Well, so when Ethan is waking up in the scene, the first person that he sees is Elsa, followed by Benji, followed by Luther. And then he sort of passes out again. Okay. And that's when he wakes up. And in my notes, it was just 
straight to West Bank. <laughs> well, no, that's like that's the more important thing. But I bring it up only because I think Christopher McQuarrie made a choice, which is who is the most important like people to Ethan now, right. and like sort of in order. Not that Ving Rhames is third best, but like Ilsa Wait, is Benji before Luther. What are you I'm, talking about? I'm it's got to be sure Ilsa, Luther, Benji, if we were to rank it in terms of who's most important to him. I think you and I can probably have that point. I just know that like he sees the Unless three of you want to make like an Oreo sandwich of like the most important <laughs> at the ends. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, like him seeing Ilsa first was sort of like a, okay. Yeah. Um, and then when he has the goodbye scene with Julia, like. So basically Julia, Julia's like, Julia comes over to him and he's like, I am so, so sorry I've done this to you. And Julia goes. No, I'm grateful because I had to go into hiding. I found this whole other life where I'm like, I, doctors without borders, I guess. Yeah, she's, and she's like, like, I'm a survivor. I never would have found this out without you. And I'm like, he married you without telling you he was a spy. And because of that, he ruined your life. Yeah. I just, I don't quite believe that this is what they're, even if she was happy, the idea of like, thanks for giving me the heads up. I, I, I just, mean, I suppose you could make an argument. This is real dark, but like she's so traumatized by what's happened to her. She's, <laughs> she's taking all that trauma, syndrome. putting it in a little box in her brain, locked it shut, and she's right. real happy this with is, Rob. This, this is how she can deal with this to just be like, no, life is good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why West Bentley, everyone he meets, we're very happy. <laughs> yes, exactly. We solved it. Good for us. <laughs> so, so anyway, she's like, I'm tied up in a nice little bow. No one ever needs to think of me again. Yeah, she kisses him on the forehead. Walks away and has like a weird moment something. with like, well, Ilsa whispers something to Julia. And I only took note of that because I was like, is it like she's like, okay, it's cool. I got him what now. What happens is like, like a medieval marriage contract where <laughs> Julia is like, I now transfer ownership of Ethan to you. <laughs> the baton has been handed. And um, I, I, I yeah. feel like because they they don't kiss, do they? They don't. They don't kiss. but And yet I feel like what we're supposed to take from that is that like. They now have permission to go do their thing. Be a couple. Yes. Um, but before we get to the ending, um, where that future might possibly occur, uh, Angela Bassett, I, she's just Angela Bassett she's to so me. Good. Yeah. Um, she's just like, per your request, I'm handling uh, Solomon Lane back to MI6. Oh, so, so he's still alive? Yes. Oh man, this this fucker won't die. <laughs> nope. Okay. Oh my God, you just reminded me of another great line that Henry Cavill says in this Why movie. Why won't you die? Yeah. <laughs> You can't. He's Ethan Hunt. He's better yeah. than you. Um, if I was Ilsa, <laughs> as Benji is like recovering, I gotta be honest, I'm sliding a knife between Solomon Lane's ribs. I'm like, I just want him dead because I'm out. I know. I know. But so he is now with MI6 and uh, Ilsa is free. And then Angela Bassett says to Ethan Hunt, um, I understand now why Hunley believed in you. The world needs people like you because you care about the one life. So I don't have to. I'm taking over IMF. Yeah. Which is funny because uh, Baldwin at the beginning described it as a lateral move. (laughs) Well, does she take over IMF? I didn't get that. Oh, I thought she was. I thought she was running IMF now. She might be. Maybe not. I hope she is. Maybe I just want it so badly that Mission Impossible 7, she's the new boss. (laughs) She probably is. I think that would be great. Even though. If you're listening to this now, Christopher McCoy, and you're still writing the script. (laughs) The only thing is that being the boss in a Mission Impossible movie means you are almost certainly going to die. Yes. Well, I think Angela Bassett could beat that trend. Sure. If anyone can. Yes. So now we do get to the ending, and it's the perfect iteration of the IMF team. And it's just Benji sort of Josh and Ethan, who's lying there broken on the bed. He's like, how close were we? Ethan's like, oh, you know, the usual. And then Ilsa says something. 
And Ethan's like, please don't make me laugh. Yeah. And it's a... Uh, very sweet. Movie over. Speaking of perfect iteration of the team, I can't believe we both mentioned to say that, or we both forgot to say this. Um, and I mentioned Brant in this podcast. So you know that Jeremy Renner had the opportunity to come back, right? I did know that he, I didn't know that it was offered to him. I so, did hear that he like had not confirmed or denied whether so he was coming. He was, I believe he was locked into some sort of Marvel obligation. I, I, it might've been Infinity War part two or something, but basically- he wasn't going to be able to do the whole movie. So they offered him the chance to be along for the first mission in Berlin with the idea that he would get killed. Oh no. <laughs> and that was going to be haunting Ethan the rest of the movie. And when he couldn't do it, they instead had Luther not get killed. Just kind of interesting. Would have been a very different movie. Yeah. Well, I'm super glad that Brant actually did show up, did not show up in this yeah. movie then because it means because they're going to make another Mission Impossible. They have to. I certainly hope so. I wonder if Branch is up for that one. Hmm. Yeah, maybe he dies in the next one. Maybe Thanos is going to get him. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, shall we jump right into our questions? Okay. Best gadget. Not a lot of gadgets in this movie. There's not. I am struggling really hard. I like the mask-making scanning gun. Mm-hmm. Um, Gotta say, though, Zen's little um, compact device that just takes pictures of a face seems a lot more effective because she can do it from far range, whereas they had to be like right up. They had like a, you know, like a supermarket price gun. (laughs) So, okay, that's actually out for me. I don't like that one. All right. I mean, I know this not is not a gadget in the world of the movie, but the halo jumpsuit Mm -hmm. is actually a gadget designed for yeah. the movie. So if we're being a little bit meta about it, like that's a contender. Sure. I think that's gotta be it. Am I missing any obvious? I think the other gadget would maybe be the like, um, tracking device switcher outer that the neck Luther, yeah. punchy thing. They have a drone in here, but that's not really a gadget. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm going to give it to, uh, Halo jumpsuit? Yeah, I'll give it to the Halo yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah, me too. Okay. I, there's nothing really of sure. else comes close. Okay, so uh, best stunt. So Halo jumpsuit is uh, tied to the Halo jump itself. And then there's, for me, the helicopter climb. Yes. Where are you at? Yeah, it's those two. It can't really be anything else. This is the first movie where I feel inclined not to give it to the Big, 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 famous stunt, which would be the halo jump. Why are you breaking Tom Cruise's heart? He tried so hard for you. Because I just, <laughs> I think the helicopter climb ends up looking more impressive on screen. And yet the behind the scenes stuff, obviously the halo jump is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. But, okay, you give your answer while I think on this. No, I, th- I think you're right. Because um, I think where the halo jump, as amazing as it is, uh it's almost a little bit undercut by the actual action that takes place in the scene, right? Where they jump through the lightning cloud and you know, that's actually not happening. It's the one thing Tom Cruise couldn't quite do. (laughs) Survive a hit by lightning. (laughs) At however many feet in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they were actually going to try and do that. Like just simulate it somehow. We're going to do it. We're going to get electrodes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do anything on a whim, but I will plan this out. The cue, (laughs) get me a battery. (laughs) Um, but I will say Tom Cruise falling um, off of the rope when he's climbing the helicopter, when he, like, hits at the bottom, and then 
we didn't talk about this, but when he falls, um, like it obviously causes a reverberation. So he has to hide underneath the payload, the yeah. ball thing, and he just hangs onto it as the helicopter continues to fly. And you know that Tom Cruise was just like hanging on. I gotta the be honest. The more you say thing. this, I'm giving it to the helicopter climb. Yeah, I think it's just because it Shocking. shows how human. Ethan Hunt is like how yes. much work goes into these yes. stunts. It's not perfectly executed. Also, people jump out of planes all the time. <laughs> like, I understand <laughs> it's a very, very complicated plane jump, and I understand that filming it is unbelievably complicated. But like at the end of the day, people do that a lot, whereas yes. people don't often climb up helicopter ropes that are in motion and yeah. in the air. Yeah, okay, so I'm giving it to the helicopter. All right, uh, MVP of the IMF team. And conversely, least valuable. So I've number. thought about this a lot this week. I think we got to go out the way we came in with uh, giving it to Ethan. I think he's the most valuable. I completely agree. Okay. Because this movie, again, is about Ethan, right? Like, it's just yes. who is Ethan the human being and why does he do what he does? Why does he do what he <laughs> Yeah. No, that does? works. Is that, is that yeah. right? Congratulations, Ethan Hunt. You are our most valuable team member this uh, week. Yep. I'm actually struggling with the next part of the question, though. Who's the least valuable? Because every there's no one who stands out as... Well, and Walker isn't an IMF member. We had this debate about Emmanuel Bayar. If you are sabotaging the team, you don't count. Yeah. I suppose you could say Ilsa sabotages the team a little bit on purpose, but she's not really on the team at that point. I feel bad speaking ill of the dead, but I wonder if it's Hunley. But we can't even say that about Hunley because he did his best. He really did. He fucked up pretty bad, though. Like, he didn't realize that Erica Sloan got the drop on him. Yeah. He is behind the ball the entire time. Yeah. Uh, like, it's it, okay. Who so, else would we give it to? Well, though? let's take a page from the IMF team when they're trying okay. to find the nuclear bombs. You, process of elimination. Okay. So, okay. it's not Cavill, it's not Ilsa. Yeah. I don't think it can be Luther. Nor can it be oh, Benji. It could be Luther because Luther gets captured at the beginning and lets Which the ruins everything else. Away. But I almost feel like that's more Benji's fault. Well, and that's also Ethan's decision in the end, yep. where Luther is yep. like, no, kill me to get the plutonium. So, right, right. Luther's willing to go. I think this it's, is not Benji's finest outing. But he also does such a great job. He wears the mask twice. That's true. He gets to do his masks. And he is like, again, he's the heart and soul of this team. The moments of comedy really do mostly have to do with him. I got it. <laughs> Penny, Penny has strong feelings here. <laughs> I got to give it to Hunley. Yeah. Sorry, Hunley. No, well, he's the only one left after yeah. those guys. All right. It's okay, Penny. We love Hunley, too. It's just, you got to pick one. Yep. All right. So uh, our next question is pretty much void, but it's, where is Luther sitting this week? He goes back to the van Yep. for a little bit, and then... Uh, goes to a boat. Goes to a boat. Drives the boat, so he's Drives standing. Drives the boat, yeah, he's standing. Um, then he, he's, on, he's in kind of a squat next to the nuclear bomb. I don't yeah. know if we could call that sitting. I think he's kneeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so he's back he's, to the van. He's pretty mobile, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, the music in this movie, Great. I think, has... Love it. I almost think it's never been better, just because, again, for me... Over Rogue Nation? So, okay. Rogue Nation, I, I think we're also kind of dovetailing into our next question, yeah. which is, like, what is our favorite movie? So, overlapped to come. Um, so, Rogue Nation is an exciting 
fun action movie. Fallout is also an exciting action movie. In fact, I think it's one of the greatest action movies I've ever seen, but I think it's because there is an emotional undercurrent to this movie that is absent in Rogue Nation. And I think Whoa. the music... What? Well, not to the same degree. What? <laughs> not to the same degree. Missing emotions? You <laughs> no, were here last no. week. <laughs> this is the one that is The freshest. greatest love story of all time. <laughs> But that's still here in this one, and it's even more complicated oh, but because Ethan is struggling so hard. Mm. You could argue that it's here even more because now we get, like, Ilsa gets to know Ethan better. She sees him with Ilsa. I mean, sorry, she sees him with Julia. And honestly, the scene where they do cut to Ilsa watching Ethan with Julia, I think it's so important because her eyes actually look a little red. She looks like she's on the verge of tears, and I've we've never seen Ilsa this emotional before. I'm struggling real hard here because I want to appreciate your argument. You are allowed to disagree I with disagree me. Disagree strongly. Okay. I think because but what's hard is that you're not wrong. You're saying all this, and I'm like, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But I just okay. So we were talking about the theme music. Okay. Okay. Something we haven't. <laughs> talked about at all and i can't believe we haven't yet because it's one of my favorite things in this movie yeah there's a staccato thing going on throughout the theme yes, which is like there's yes, like yes, yes, bongos yes, yes. or something like that it's like yep. that da, 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 da. i can't do it but like there's it's a, just as as they're doing the first heist the, the, the like the the bad vision of the heist to get solomon lane out there's the, the music that's playing as he's getting off the helicopter. It's it's doing that staccato thing. Yeah. It's um, it, it's amazing. It's so good. So the com- the composer is Lorne Balf. Balf. Sorry for saying that last name wrong. Okay. But uh, just so you know, it's great. Good job, Lorne. Uh, okay. Is it now director time? We don't do directors. We just say favorite movie. Right. Oh, I thought we still talk about the director. We just don't rank them. Anyway, see our see our conversation of Christopher <laughs> Christopher McQuarrie last week. Nothing has changed for me. He's still great, great yes. bit for the thing. I do think we should take a moment to appreciate that he is the only repeat director in this franchise, and I think that's part of what makes Fallout that much stronger for me. Right, because Christopher McQuarrie has been with these movies for a very long time now, and. Aside from mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, maybe no one else understands the whole franchise as well as he does. Yeah, it's interesting. This is the first one that is not standalone. Like, you need to have seen Rogue Nation in order to understand what's going on in this movie, um, which is a thing. I am not assigning any judgment to that. I think that might be part of why Rogue Nation works a little better for me. Because it's a standalone? Yeah, it's its own complete thing. Let's just get into this question. We're dancing around it. What's your rankings? Just give them to me. I like it better because I think stories, like it pays off more emotionally. Because I like Fallout better because it pays off more emotionally because you know these characters. You've been with them now. And I actually think the fact that okay. you have to have seen okay. a previous movie makes it that much okay. more powerful. You and I have never had this conversation. What do you like more? Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi? Oh, okay. Okay. So no, if we're going to have a full conversation about that, that's a whole separate podcast okay. series. Return of the Jedi has the emotional payoff, which I love. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about that movie. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I love that movie for that. I, I say, don't think it's as good a complete movie as Empire Strikes Back. And much like Empire Strikes Back, I like that Rogue Nation has an emotional payoff without a narrative payoff. 
that we are left with dangling threads, but the emotional arc in that movie is complete. I don't know. It's, okay. You're not wrong. <laughs> so let me give you a very short version to <laughs> okay. what would otherwise be a very long answer. As a child growing up, um, Return of the Jedi was my favorite movie until I was probably somewhere in my mid-20s and I just started really binge-watching Star Wars all over again. Uh, I would say I had the identical conversion. And As a kid, loved Return of the Jedi yeah, the most. And it was Empire Strikes Back that became my top contender of that particular trio. And I, you're not wrong. It's a better-made movie, and it's a complete object in and of itself. And so maybe my opinion about Rogue Nation and Fallout, which one is better, will change. But as I stand right now, I think the emotional payoff is that much more special in the Mission Impossible franchise because you don't really have that in any of the other movies. Like they were objects unto their own where it was more about the action than it was the characters. And now we are fully a character-driven franchise. I want your rankings. I thought, I I truly thought we were going to be more in line with this. I want your rankings. Well, I got it. Like I got to do Fallout okay. as my number 1. Okay. Followed by Rogue Nation, followed by Ghost Protocol, followed by Mission Impossible 2, followed by Mission Impossible 3, with Mission Impossible the first at the bottom. Okay. Number 1 with a bullet for me, no doubt in my mind, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I get tripped up with the next two. And what I am going to say is I came in here intending to put Ghost Protocol above Fallout and Shit. felt weird about that. You have converted me on this count such that my final rankings for today, who knows what happens when we're doing the Mishies. <laughs> my final rankings today are Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 3. I think my rankings are better than yours, that's, but that's, that's my opinion. The, it's, it's such a wrong, <laughs> it's, it's a bad opinion. This fo- Fallout is not better than Rogue Nation. It's just not. It is. It's more critically acclaimed. Everyone was think, like everything no. from what? the cinematography Wait, no, to the musical no. score sources, to the sources, acting. Citations for that claim. I How will, is Fallout more critically acclaimed? It just is. Let me <laughs> pause this. I'm going to rotten tomato this right now. Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so we're going to go Rogue Nation. It was certainly more um, commercially successful. Okay, so are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Yeah. So Rogue Nation tomato meter is 93% fresh. That's a great score. That's so good. But then you go to Fallout, tomato meter is 97% fresh. Okay, what's the audience score? Audience score on Fallout is 89. Mm-hmm. What is it on Rogue Nation? 87. Whole world is wrong. <laughs> the masses in me are right. I stand by this. I think this is a mistake. Also, Rotten Tomatoes does not. I know I needed just something on, to throw at you, whole. and that was the thing that came up first. It was a tomato, and I threw it at you. I'm sorry. Mm, I, mm, all right. I have something to meditate on for the next week. And so maybe we should talk about what we're going to talk about next week, which is... 
The Mishies, full credit to Billy for coming up with this fantastic name. What are the Mishies, Billy? So next week, we're going to be doing a little bit of a wrap up. We're going to talk about our thoughts on the series. We're going to revisit some of the things we talked about in episode zero and kind of come full circle. Like how I said I was so excited to watch episode three because I think it's or uh, Mission Impossible three because I think it's one of the better ones. And then I ended up ranking it at the bottom. <laughs> so we'll be having a little check in where we talk about that. And then we're going to be giving out some awards. Uh, we're going to go through best actor, best supporting actor, best actress, best supporting actress. We'll be giving out um, best screenplay, best score, all stuff like that. You don't want to miss it. Even more importantly, though, next week we are going to be talking about the future of Kim and Billy Talk, and you're going to want to be here for that. We have a big, 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 big announcement coming up, so check in for that. Another reminder here is that uh, you're going to want to check out our holiday special covering Magnolia and Kim's reaction to it, which will be available to Patreon subscribers on December 20th. Um... As always, big thank you to Aaron Kosser for our logo. You can find us on Twitter at Kim and Billy Talk. And other than that, I think that it is mission accomplished. Gonna right. put it in the back bumper. <laughs> I hate you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as of the recording. Okay, okay. okay. Well, all right. Everybody. Calm me down.